can barely hear you, Matt. Okay, hold on. And mercifully, we can't see you at all. Hello? Hello? Much there better. we go. Much oh, better. better. Okay. Yeah. I had to actually move away from the mic to reach <laughs> the control. I'm in the midst of rewiring stuff, so things are not in reach like they normally are. You have no Skype picture, which is strangely disconcerting. Um, strangely more disconcerting than pig face boy. So. Uh, yeah, that's uh, actually that is a Skype picture. That's me putting my hand over the camera <laughs> because I was setting it up on another machine, and it's like, hurry the hell up, let's get over, let's get this done. Whatever. Bill's fault. So I was all it's concerned cool. about, uh, you know, should I even prep a book for today? We're we gonna have too much to go. You know, you have a book, Bill has a book, and. All of a sudden, nope. Dr. Bill proved why I should always have a book. Ah. <laughs> what lame Look, excuse uh, did he give? Something oh, about, some, a, something about a, a tornado. I don't know. Oh, oh it's oh, rainy and windy. Me. It's raining, you know, a million miles an hour. <laughs> it's barely a hurricane one. I mean, I would bet good money Bill has farted stronger winds. <laughs> <laughs> but it's raining like crazy over there. Yeah. And they're getting. Have you seen the, the pictures? The, I mean, they really are getting some flooding, some bad <laughs> flooding in, in Tampa, we, yeah. We just got a hurricane, uh, tornado warning on our phone, so we quick flipped on the news before I jumped in, and they're showing all these, and they're like, and this is Orlando news, and they're talking like it's Armageddon and showing pictures, and like this teeny, 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 tiny print, it says like Tampa Bay something or other. I'm like, this is, these pictures are nowhere near here. I hate the freaking local news so much. <laughs> it's so over-sensationalized. So, comic books. Hey. Did you even get a chance to read the read the books that were coming? No, did you guys send them? Uh, over Facebook? Not I over just, Facebook. I you know what? I'll send it to you right now in the chat here. Okay. Just I literally, you have it to page through it while you're uh, while we're doing I, our synopsis. I just got back from the gym and sat down, and I'm gonna guess that's a phrase <laughs> that's been, I'm the first to say on this show. Oh, that's harsh, dude. <laughs> Even if it's true, it's totally harsh. I already sent him Batman as a as a CBZ. Don't send him the PDF. Friends don't PDF friends, okay? I keep oh, telling you, you Scott, this. do you understand you're the only one who's bothered by PDFs? This is your own little PDF my allergy. Equipment. What? Yeah, I, I, have a, I have a standing prejudice against PDFs. I don't like them. Yeah, but you're like the only one. Nobody else gives don't a shit. Like them. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say you're the only one who cares. So don't download it. <laughs> and we're all good. Everyone's happy. There was much rejoicing. CBZ. <laughs> don't don't start. <laughs> the whole world <sighs> works in a PDF format. I I don't I don't know what it is, but PDFs just my computer and my iPad. Neither one of them likes them very much. Hmm. They they take forever to turn the page for some reason, and they never format properly on either device. Because you're still on a, a Univac. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the reader I'm using or, or what, but it doesn't like them. It doesn't like them, so I don't like them. Did you uh, download those, Matt, or no? Yep, I got them. I got everything. All, all right, three. Cool, cool. So now. And I'm going to use the PDF out of spite. That's right. Oh, what a dick. You rub it in his face. What does PDF stand for? Let's see. I can't think of anything funny. Forget it. Yeah, me neither. Back to the bin. Hey, 
everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Pretty Spitaro. dumb file. That's what it stands for. <laughs> What's it stand for? What? 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 Pretty dumb file. No, it took you bad. 10 minutes to come up with that. Yeah, I'm tired, all right? And I'm tired of you making fun of my PDFs, man. <laughs> PDFs are my this friend. Is, this is only going to work if you put the if you put that in the pre-show. Otherwise, people are going to be like, what? what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, as I'm According, saying, to, the, according huh? to the internet, it either means personal data forum or personal democracy forum. I'm not sure which one applies to this comic. Hmm. Interesting. Which one? PDF. Wait, what? Which you said to which this comic? comic? Which comic? Oh, uh, I, which whatever whatever one we're arguing about between PDF and ZBZ and oh, that's STP the comic. and ABC Batman. and ZZ Top <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> what does ZZ Top stand for? Uh, Personal Democracy Forum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't compute. <laughs> Made sense to me, which explains a lot about our shows. <laughs> so I'm Paul Spitaro, and if you've figured it out from the voices, if you haven't figured it out from the voices, we have Mr. Scott, hell of a guy, Gardner. Hello. And Mr. Neo Zaz himself, Matt Hunsworth. Not sure that's a name I want to adopt these days, <laughs> but thank you. Well, Dr. Bill is apparently crying in the rain. Couldn't come out with, with us. He's singing in the rain. He's singing in the rain. So with Dr. Bill's absence, I threw out the call to a few choice people. That means Matt. None of them showed up, so we got Matt. That's right. What's that from, Matt? Uh, boy, oh, boy. I don't know. Oh, come on now. With your misses, and you're going to miss that softball? It's a Muppet something, but it I'm not sure It is a Muppet one. something. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, that's good one. enough. It's a Muppet okay. thing. You got it. Okay, good. Phew. <laughs> So, in true Dr. Bill fashion, Matt doesn't have a book today. And in true Dr. Bill fashion, I am stuck in my chair. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we can end the show right there. That's perfect. That's a first, I hate to admit, it's like, I mean, that's a great story. That's a highlight of one of your shows. But when, when Paul put the call out on Facebook, he said, Bill can't make it. Does someone want to fill his seat? I was like, the first thing I thought of was, no, because I'm going to get stuck in it. <laughs> Call maintenance to come yeah. by. Uh... <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh God, poor. Did you Bill. imagine a poor yeah, maintenance guy? Bill sitting there, just, it's like you got to grease this guy up and get him out of that chair. Here's the thing, though. You know, people can say whatever they want, but you got to give it to the guy that takes balls to go on any form of media that's going to go out potentially worldwide. And, and put yourself out there the way that he did with that story. Because as I said in the episode, if that was me, there's no way, no way in hell I'm telling people that. I'm, I'm not even going to tell my wife that story, let alone strangers. Let's, let's, be, let's be realistic here. If that was me, I'm killing you so you don't tell the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's where it would have started. I would have walked down the stairs and you go, Wait, what happened? I've been uh, right, malfunction thing, I don't know. And just kept walking. Right. Right, so you know, yeah. good on him. I give him a lot of credit for being a good sport. Yeah, he is a good yeah. sport. He's a very good sport. But I'm gonna and have to edit this out now because I can't have that set on the air. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll kill our whole gestalt. Google gestalt. Let's see. <laughs> Matt, have you been reading any comics lately? Uh, 
Yes, actually, sort of nothing recent, though. I just finally, and it's funny, I may have mentioned this the last time I was on the show. I was on the hunt for the Universal Monster comics, and I finally completed this set. I mean, there's only four, but yes, but I, I now have them all. So I sat one evening when I was caught up on all editing and recording and whatnot and finally got to enjoy those. So that is, that's kind of funny that I get to talk about it here. Cause I do, if it wasn't the last time I was on the show, it was the second last time. Cause it's very, my, one of my very recent appearances. Well, the thought occurs to me that we were just talking about possibly having monster month again in October. Right. And if you just completed your universal monsters book, I'm thinking that's one of the episodes right there. there okay, sure. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, Ooh, to four, answer your four question. books, maybe we can cover those in one yeah. episode. To answer your question, Scott, I found two at Coliseum of Comics out by Mall Millennia. I found one at the flea market on 192. And then when I had three in my hand, it didn't seem so bad paying that, you know, the ridiculous shipping and the eBay price for the fourth to complete it. So I broke down and eBay the last one just to have it done and finally have them and read them. I know I have the nice. Frankenstein one, and I bought it when I was down when we were comic shop hopping down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yep, I bought that one then. I remember that. Yep, that's when I learned of their existence, actually. Oh, so, so I get total credit for it then. Yep, you do. Yep. <laughs> and as far as anything even closely modern, I do have now all five, and I got them through. I've I've been pre-ordering them. So the last episode of the. Um, Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, the last, uh, I'm sorry, what was I saying? Oh, the, uh, I got in the last <laughs> issue of the Haunted Mansion adaptation by Marvel, but I haven't read anything past the first episode. Oh, how, how are those? Is, the, is, well, you said you read the first one? I read the one. I mean, it's okay. It's a little, seems so far to be a little kitty caperish mystery, uh, but okay. the, the references are dead on. I mean, they did, it's not like we've had this discussion on the infamous Barbie episode that things aren't out of place. <laughs> they're around, so they're good. I mean, we, so we were talking about that good. when they first announced that that series was coming out, because, you know, thinking that it, it could go kind of any way. It could go for serious horror. It could go for, you know, kiddie horror. And we were wondering then what they were going to do. I haven't had a chance to read any of them yet. So, uh, you know, Kitty is fine if it's clever. Would you recommend it? Uh, you know what? I'd have to read the second one to make sure it's not Kitty Caper because it involves a kid and his grandfather's ghost. So, I mean, there's the setup. I have to see where it, I, I don't I don't know where it went from there. I got to the setup, so I don't know yet to recommend it. I would recommend it if you're a fan of the Haunted Mansion because it's cool to see it in a story and see right. everything in in the right place and and drawn really well. But as far as story goes, I don't can't really give you an honest opinion about it yet. I read the Figment. Uh, mini that they did the first one and it was it was pretty decent it was kind of strange it was very steampunk and i couldn't quite get a feel for okay how does this really truly relate if it even is supposed to to the real uh dreamfinder and figment in epcot but it was interesting it was still a fun story and then I can't remember if I finished the entire series or not, but I know I read at least the first couple issues of the big uh, Thunder Mountain Railroad one that they did. And that one was cool just because it was pretty much just a straight up Western. So that was pretty neat. That's kind of And yeah, I was curious to check out the Haunted Mansion one, but I I haven't had a chance to yet. Um, Did you know that there was a Haunted Mansion series? I forget what year it was. This is probably, gosh, by this point, it's probably a good 10 years ago now. It was by a, a comics company that I think was just a flash in the pan. 
uh, it was SLG Comics. I couldn't even tell you what that stood for, if it stood for anything. The only things I know that they did, because I have issues of them, is they did a Tron series that was oh, based cool. on Tron 2.0 uh, right around the time that that game was out. Um, and I want to say it was five issue, five or six issues. And then they also did a Haunted Mansion series. And the Haunted Mansion one was an anthology. So it was very much, you know, kind of sort of your typical horror anthology comic, but all the stories were related to the Haunted Mansion. Oh, and okay. again, I think it ran five or six issues. I only have two of them. Um, but I really liked them. I've I've been keeping an eye out for years. You know, if I ever see them on the cheap, I'd I'd grab the other issues. But I just thought I'd make you aware that that existed if you didn't already know. And I think that got traded as well, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that, but I I think it did uh, get a a trade paperback treatment as well. I did know there was another one. I didn't know to what detail. I didn't even know. I maybe, maybe, uh, may have assumed it was Marvel just because this is Marvel, but I didn't. Yeah, I, I knew one existed, but did not know the right. uh, company. Well, one of the first, it, it was either the first or one of the very first um, series that Marvel kicked off its current line. I forget what they're calling it. There's a there's a name for that line. You know, that the name Kingdom of the series. Kingdoms, that's it. Yeah, the Kingdom series. Um, one of the earliest titles was one, it was something like, uh, it was like, some you know, before Haunted Mansion became named the Haunted Mansion, right before it opened, for years when it was in development, it had a different name, like Museum of the Weird, I think is what it was called. Mm. Before they finally changed the name to Haunted Mansion, and there was a one of those early Kingdom series was something of the weird, like oh, okay, it was like Challengers of the Weird or something to that effect, which I, again I think was supposed to loosely be based on like you know, like, like concept era haunted mansion, if you know what I mean. I, I, that one I did not read, but I heard really good things about it. I yeah. can't remember the exact name. Somebody will probably write in and tell us. Cool. But yeah. Cool. So, uh, you know, remember the, the first store we went to when you were up here, Scott, the one, uh, where they had those boxes of bronze age books that some of them were yeah. very reasonably priced. Uh, huh. they apparently run a sale in October. I think, either the first or second Sunday in October that I have to find out because I'm going to attend it, uh, where they, what you call it? They, uh, they put out 25 cent book boxes from the basement. Remember when we were there? Oh yeah. He was saying, Oh, we have them down in the basement, but we can't bring them up right now. Right. So apparently that's, that's what they do. Come, come October. It's, it's, they consider it like to be a bookend to a free comic book day. And one's at the beginning of the summer, one's at the end. I will have to send you my want list. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah, I wish we didn't live so far apart for stuff like that, because I, <laughs> I love me a good uh, 25 cent, you know, hunting sale. So, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, so why don't you guys move up here? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I moved from there. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how long it's going to take, but the day may come, because every once in a while it says, I can't keep up with these winters every year. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it may take until retirement, but we may end up becoming snowbirds one day. <laughs> yeah. I that's highly recommend great, it. It's a great motivator. And then you come down here and you hit August and go, what the hell are we well, thinking? No, right, no, no, yeah. no. We, we, come, we come down there in oh, I see you're November, saying, okay. <laughs> yep, all and right, then we come yep. back up here in April. <laughs> that's, that's right, I, think I got the plan. you. 
April, Those May. Those people maybe. that can afford to do that, I envy them because that's the way to do it right there. You get the best of both worlds that way. Because, yeah, Matt's right. This this last month has been just brutal um, yeah. temperature-wise. It's been, ugh. Yeah. It's been killer. Yeah, I don't think I could take the summer heat down there. I mean, the summer heat here is bad enough. I don't think I could take the summer heat down there. But You, you kind of sort of get used to it, but not, I mean, not when it's just you know, when it just punishes you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually thinking this year, up to a point, I was actually thinking, oh, I, I must be getting used to this because it doesn't seem to be bothering me that much this year. And, I don't know, God or somebody heard, heard that <laughs> thought and said, oh, yeah, well, let me crank up the thermostat another 20 degrees. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden it's just, yeah, some of the days have just been on unreal with the temperatures. But, oh, well. I think I tolerate it, but I never enjoy it. That's for right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's... Or say, man, I want to go outside to 98 degree weather and 200 percent humidity right now. Right. See, and the, as I far mean, as the cold goes, it doesn't really bother me up here. The only time it bothers me is you know when we get a foot of snow and I have to shovel. Yeah, uh, I didn't miss, don't miss it. Or if I have to drive in it, you know. The, the... I think if you, it, it depends. I think if you, well, for one, I think if you're young and, you know, relatively speaking, I still think that the three of us are, are young, you know. But I mean, so I think okay. when you're when you're young or younger, <laughs> perspective, I, Matt. <laughs> and, you're, and you're living in it, I don't think you really realize it as much. Because when I lived there, honestly, the cold really didn't bother me all that much either. But I. I was always looking at like my dad and my grandfather and the way that the winters were just destroying them. And I could tell it was like prematurely aging them. And plus, you know, you, you get that, uh, you know, where it would just like set into your bones and joints and all that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want that to be me, you know, in 20, mm. 30 years, I don't want to be that, you know? So that was a big motivator right there. But then now being away, the few times I've gone back and it's been, you know, in the colder months or whatever, I'm like, oh, my God, how the hell did I ever live here? Because I'm freezing to death. <laughs> no, I cannot yep. <laughs> get warm, you know. It took me two years to be in Florida that I could no longer go back at winter. I was like, mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't take this. This is killing. This is, I am freezing. I know what the term freezing now means. I didn't know it all those years before, but I do now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, I went back up. That was, I don't know, like 2008, 2009 when my grandmother passed away. Um, and it was in a February. And I went up and I stayed at my cousin's house. And, you know, she's got this nice big place with roaring fireplace and everything. And I would sit to where they kept telling me, you know, you really need to move back from that fireplace because you're just, you're just going to, you know, combust. <laughs> and I was sitting practically in the fire and could not get warm, could not seem to thaw out the entire time I was there. And I'm like, how did I ever survive here? Yeah. It's not even truly that cold, right. you know, compared to how it gets, you know, when you, you know, but <laughs> so it, I don't know. It's weird. I, I have lived at both ends of the spectrum. You know, I've lived in a, I've lived in a place where you could walk outside and literally your, your nostril hairs are so brittle. You could just crack them off, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I've lived here to where you walk outside and the, the heat and humidity index literally feels like somebody just punched the wind out of you. You know, like you just took a, a solid hit to the solar plexus. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, I've been at both ends of the spectrum. So, See, I, I, I have, and I always have had an ability to handle pretty much extreme cold without it bothering me much. 
I remember two years ago, I was in up in uh, Boston Spa, which is around the Saratoga area. It's probably about halfway between me and Honeywell mm-hmm. in February when it was like five below. And I went for work. So I put on a suit and went, took care of the conference I had to take care of. And then went to the hotel, got changed and realized, oh, holy shit, I didn't bring a coat with me. And it was like five below. And I went, I ended up going out to the restaurant for dinner with a t-shirt and jeans. Oh, jeez. <laughs> And I'm not going to tell you I wasn't cold, but it was freaking right. five below yeah. when I was handling it. Right. I wasn't you're, like yeah. my teeth weren't chattering either. No, I follow. Yeah, I follow what you're saying. It's like yeah, it didn't didn't stop you from didn't stop you from doing what you set out to do, but uh, but I, I can see I when I get older <laughs> where I might lose that ability. Good story, Matt. Yeah, I know. It's, well, you know, Bill's not here. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be my my line to every flat joke. Oh, Bill's not here. Well, you know bram, 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 bram. So any Bill. flat joke is going to be followed by a humorous comment. Yeah. <laughs> it still works. Oh, poor Bill. You know, you know. every time you say that, and that has become kind of like your mantra. Yes, every time yes. you say that, I hear, uh, what's his name, Samwise from uh, Lord of the Rings. Right. But I hear from the Ralph Bakshi, Bakshi version. If you remember, he had the mule named Bill. And when they're at the gates trying to get them open and the creature comes out of the water and it grabs the donkey and pulls it in. And Samwise <laughs> just keeps going, poor Bill, poor, poor Bill. And that's all I hear every time you say that. <laughs> you're you're going to have to find a clip of that and use it in the show. That's awesome. <laughs> do, do you have any, I know any memory of that about, scene at all? I've never actually seen it myself. I, I know Honeywell has. He's a fa- big fan of it. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, I uh, I have to say I I really don't have any new uh, comicy news. I haven't had a, had a t- had the time or money or much of inclination to be honest lately to to get out and do any comics hunting. So I I really haven't acquired anything new. I've still been reading like crazy, you know, digitally, but uh, but that's about it. I've um, dipped my toe in the water. On some DC Rebirth. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you I am optimistic that Superman may be worth reading again. I'm not going to tell you that it's a fact yet. Because I haven't read enough to say, oh yeah, this is great. Mm -hmm. But it seems to be turning a corner and becoming at least worthwhile again. Hmm. Okay. Is he back in the costume? He still doesn't have the underwear. Okay. I want the underwear. (laughs) Yeah. I know that sounds strange, but I want the underwear. <laughs> that's the that's Superman a, costume. That's as far a line as I'm we concerned. can take out of, out of context and use that against you at some point. Yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I must really be jaded with my recordings with the guys I record with because that had no effect on me whatsoever. It's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you do record with Chris. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I heard you say that. Just went, yep, another recording night. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so far, I, I would love for them to go totally back to the old costume, but just story-wise, they seem to be presenting him the way he's supposed to be. They, they killed off the new 52 Superman. This is actually oh, okay. a different Superman. The new, the new 52 Superman, and I didn't get far enough into it to, to see how they resolve it, but it seems like the new 52 Superman might turn out to be the sand creature from back in the Neil Adams Superman run. Hmm. Yeah. I thought maybe a new 52 Doomsday came aboard or something. 
there is a doomsday aspect to it, oh, but I, God, again, I, I haven't gotten far enough into that to know. But it's it's hmm. like I said, it seems pretty interesting so far. And and it yeah. seems like it's you know like a Superman that you can get behind. It's not the uh, the Batman v Superman Superman. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, Matt, I was going to ask you: Have you read any of the the newer Star Wars comics that Marvel's been putting out? I've been reading a little bit of the Poe Dameron stuff. I have a couple issues I'm behind in, but that's about the only one. I was reading Star Wars up to like about five or six, and I'm like, I can't read this anymore. Yeah, I bailed on that one quick. Uh, the one that I have been reading is Darth Vader. That I was reading, and I just kind of fell off. I would like to pick that up again. Is it still holding up? If you didn't get to the point where it had the big crossover between Darth Vader and Star Wars proper, I can't remember what the name of it is off the top. I think it's Darth Vader yeah. Down, I think is the name of it. If I you have haven't read that, read that. Okay. That, that, that'll, that could bring you right back in. Okay, cool. Strangely, though, from, from what I'm reading, they're ending it at 25. And I'm like, hmm. why? This, is, this book is really, really good. Why the hell are you ending it? So I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if they're ending it with the intention to relaunch or you know maybe it's going to fold into the regular ongoing Star Wars, which I don't read, but I understand still isn't very good. I, I really? really don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> But I, tried. It's, it's, I, I really like it. I think it's a really good book. It's been really solid in its depiction of Vader. You know, it's it's weird okay. to suddenly have... I, I mean, essentially what this book really reminds me of is if you remember back when uh, in the 90s when, when Marvel was doing its 2099 series and for the first time, Doctor Doom got his own book, you know? So now you're getting, like, the villain is, you know, the main character. And, and how do you run with that? How do you treat that? And that's kind of what they're doing with this. It's like it's Vader's title. It's Vader's book. So how do you do a book, you know, about the the big bad guy and, and make it, uh, you know, not make him a hero, you know, not slowly turn him into a hero, but keep him as this badass villain, but also make it compelling and interesting and, you know, not, again, not the hero, but the, still the focus of the book, if you know what I mean. And, you, you and I think the, they've done a masterful job. I, you I make really him the, enjoyed the it. protagonist, but not the hero. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's. And, I uh, think that's become a more common storytelling trope in the last few years, more so on on, on TV. Right. Yeah. You know, with shows like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad. Yep. Or uh, Sons of Anarchy, you know, shows like that where, where you know, your protagonist is really not a good guy at all. Right. But you you kind of fight the line where, you you know, you want to root for him, but you know it's wrong. Right. And the, the, there's two ways for them to go about it. Either, you know, you, they set you up where you actually start rooting against the guy, or you have to pit him against people even worse than him. Right. right. I mean, that seems to be the two ways to do it. And right. I think you could get away with that with Vader, where you, you know, you could have the Emperor and his machinations, and and you know, Vader is trying to deal with that, where he isn't really the bad guy, even though he is a bad guy. Right. That's kind of sort of where some of the storylines were going. It, it it seemed to kind of be a couple of different things going on at the same time, you know, because he's he's hunting down rebels, he's hunting down the last of the Jedi kind of thing, but at the same time. He is, as you say, he's kind of contending with the Emperor's machinations because at one point the Emperor kind of tips his hand a little too far and 
you realize that essentially he has a number of potential replacements for Vader, any one of which he would be perfectly content to take over Vader if they can defeat him, if they can replace him. And, and that's, 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 his, that's his history, in, in, at least in the prequels. where he, Exactly, yeah. You know, with, with Darth Maul and then with Darth Sidious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a really Sidious, good moment. Uh, with, Tyrannus. 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 Yeah, he's Darth Sidious. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite moments of the series so far is after the dust settles. Uh, the Emperor calls Vader to him and gives him this whole speech about, okay, so here's what I'm doing. He basically comes clean. And Vader stands there very patiently and lets him do his whole spiel and everything. And and finally, the Emperor concludes by saying, do you understand? And there's a great, I just love the way it's paced. There's a a panel or two where Vader just stands there silently and doesn't say anything. And then finally, when he does speak, he just says, I understand. I understand that, you know, had any one of these potential replacements of me uh, defeated me, you would have been giving this speech to them. And I thought that was great. You know, that's that's very, you know, it's what I like about the series is that it's very Darth Vader. Um, okay. Because okay. I, I, as much as I love the older Marvel comic series, I have to grudgingly admit that there's a number of times that while I like the visual depiction of Vader, and I know we differ in that, but I do, there's a number of times in the dialogue that I can't quite picture James Earl Jones delivering the line, if you know what I mean. Whereas mm-hmm. in this, I like, uh, again, the way he's written and everything because I can very much hear it. I, it. Nothing so far has really been terribly out of character, which is weird because it's, you know, I kind of like Vader being similar to like, say like, uh, like Clint Eastwood's man with no name where he, he doesn't say a lot, you know, I like Vader that way. So to suddenly put him, you know, as the head of the book and the and the character that's got to carry the book means you pretty much are forced to give him at least some dialogue. And so going into it, I was nervous, like, okay, how's this going to read? You know, is he going to be too verbose? Is he going to, you know, make some stupid attempt at humor or something? And so far, there's been none of that. I mean, it's been very natural. It really does feel like, you know, classic trilogy Darth Vader to me, which has been nice. But yeah, again, if you if you haven't read it or like you say you petered out on it, uh, I'd, I'd say give it a give it a okay. try again and see what you think. Sure. Especially sure. Uh, again that Darth Vader Down series was really good because uh, essentially what happens is uh, through happenstance he ends up crash landing on this planet and there's a just a kick ass moment. It actually ends on a really nice cliffhanger where he's it's, it, for all intents and purposes he's screwed. He's there and mm. he's down, he can't leave cuz his ship's destroyed and he's completely alone and he winds up just being surrounded by like hundreds of armed rebel soldiers and he's basically at their mercy and they order him to surrender and he's pretty much like no, I'm not going <laughs> to surrender. And the way he survives the encounter is pretty damn cool. So if, if that doesn't intrigue you, I don't know what would. So, okay. Yeah, I'll check yeah, it you out. Have, you have to check it out. It's pretty good stuff. But yeah, other than that, I, I haven't really been reading any new comics. Everything's uh, everything's still classics and uh, still plugging away at that classic Marvel project. So well, that uh, it's going to be in- years. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll do I'll do it until you know I get bored or whatever. Um, what I might start doing though, I, I've been debating this for the longest time, is I might pare down a little bit because originally this really was going to be um, a reading project with the intentions of reading the histories of Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. And then I expanded it to FF, and then I expanded it to this, that, and the other thing. And the next thing you know, I'm pretty much reading everything month to month that Marvel was putting out, and that probably can't continue because it's just taking me too long. It's fascinating, and I love seeing how the universe, you know, evolved, and you know how it was born and how it evolved. But it's just, it's just taking me forever. I mean, you know, I'm I'm barely into. I think I'm. I, I honestly, I couldn't even venture a guess as to what month, but I'm sometime in 1965 right now. And I mean, I've been doing this for what, uh, a year now, I think. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's just taking me forever. But I mean, still, I mean, it's it's not been a slog. I've really been enjoying it and uh, and all that. But it's just, you know, if anything, if any if any one title does suddenly become a slog, then it's probably not going to make the cut because so far the only thing uh, that I did bail on that, you know, that I was, that I, that I gave an honest try was the Dr. Strange stuff by Ditko. And, you know, apologies to uh, every listener who's a fan of that stuff. And I know that stuff has its fans, but I just, I, I couldn't hang with it. It just was not my cup of tea. I tried. You could pick it up again when, uh, uh, who was it that started, uh, Marie Severin? Well, Marie Severin did an issue or two, but, uh, I guess, you know, you get some Gene Colan issues in there. Yeah colon later yeah you know it, yeah. it it's the stories i see I, I i actually enjoyed the doctor strange stories and i liked the way steve ditko's art went with it but i can understand where it might not be your cup of tea i think it's a little bit more stylized so it's either something you're gonna like or it's absolutely out it's it's well, un, it's harder, unlikely that you're gonna be in between on it well, part of the problem for me too is that it, it seems to have batman movie syndrome in the fact that jesus christ does he ever fight anybody but baron mordrew it's like baron mordrew every issue and i'm like well, I then they bring in dormammu the... yeah well I, yeah, I did see him in there for and i did and uh, i did come back just to read his first appearance because i was curious about you know the origins of dormammu and everything so i did read that but uh I mean, I'm keeping an eye on it because, I mean, it's it's the backup or, you know, the, it's the co-feature with, um, is it Iron Man? No, no at Shield. that point it's S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah, um, in, uh, in Strange Tales. So I'm keeping an eye on it because I am reading S.H.I.E.L.D. And believe it or not, I've actually been kind of digging S.H.I.E.L.D. I didn't know what I would make of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and it's been kind of wacky, but it's kind of, it's fun wacky. You know what I mean? It doesn't take itself, or at least I don't think it was intended to take itself too seriously maybe it's the tone i'm reading it in but i i I get the feeling that it was just stan having a ball and going screw it i'm just going to do james bond you know yeah and then it becomes it becomes very different when steranko comes aboard on that right and then you're you well if you're that i think i have read if you're into Mm -hmm. 65 you're about three to three and a half years from uh them splitting up into full issues right as opposed to the split books well, so, that's why your book tonight is was so interesting to me because basically I, I got a sneak preview of my future in this project, you know, and, and kind of seeing what what's going to come along in just a couple of years. And uh, I'm pretty much ready uh, for this particular character to get to this point because, like I say, I, I don't want to use the word slog because I don't think any of it's really been a slog, but some of it is definitely better than others. Um, and... Uh, 
Art-wise, I have not been particularly enjoying um, Iron Man, at least not where I'm at at the moment, because it's... Um, gosh, who is it? Is it Heck? I think it's Don Heck is Don where Heck I'm at right now. It, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was looking here to see if I could look it up real quick and tell you exactly yeah, who I'm at. You have Don Heck here, in but... there, and then you have Gene Colan under a pseudonym because he was technically under contract with uh, yeah. DC. And uh, during that stretch, even his, his artwork isn't that great. Because he's trying to do kind of the house style. Right. That's funny because I, I got to um, the first thing I encountered Colin with was uh, Colin's doing Namor in Tales to Astonish. So I got to the issue, I think, I don't know if it was the very first issue of Tales with Namor or not, I forget. But anyway, the first issue of Tales to Astonish that had uh, Namor art by Colin. And it was a different name, and I, I was never—I was totally unaware that Colin had ever worked under a pseudonym. So I got to that issue, and I'm reading this story, and I'm like, I really like this art. I wonder who this is. And I was like, damn, this guy looks a lot like Gene Colan. So I looked him up on the internet, and you know, first thing that pops right up is, you know, the Joe Blow or whatever his name is was a pseudonym for Gene Colan. I'm like, okay, well that makes sense. But then it did get me to wondering, well, why in the hell is he Adam Austin? That's what he went That's by, it, Adam yeah. Austin. I was like, why Why is he going by a pseudonym? So, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about contract stuff. It just yeah, didn't occur to but, me. But initially, his work is, it, it almost looks like he's trying to look like Don Hex's art. Right. Which, which is a, a sin for Gene Colan's art. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but then once once he breaks out and goes into his own style, it becomes really enjoyable. Right. So, so you know, you, you're probably not too far from there. Yeah, I uh, I just finished issue seventy one of uh, of Tales of Suspense, and I want to say uh, Colin jumps over to Iron Man somewhere around like I think it's like seventy three or something like that. I think um, give, give or take a little. Yeah, somewhere around there. So so you. Yeah. You know, just stick with that one because then it gets enjoyable, especially on the split books, which this is a good segue into this, into our first book tonight. Right. Uh, but on the split books, I mean, you're talking very short reads to get through them. Yeah. So, they, you know, you, you could burn through those very quickly. I mean, but it, it's been it, – I mean, it has been a lot of fun. I mean, with the exception of the um, Ant-Man slash Giant-Man stories in um, Tales to Astonish – Nothing story-wise has been too bad for me. I've, I've enjoyed most everything story-wise. It's just at the at the moment, um, the stories are pretty much firing on all cylinders, but there's a couple of books where I'm struggling with the art. Um, Tales of Suspense with Iron Man being one, and the other one being um, Avengers right now is also Don Heck. Well, and you're going to get a lot of Don Heck over the years with the Avengers. Yeah, unfortunately. And I'm ready for the Avengers to get past that point where it was just Cap, Hawkeye, and the twins. Because I don't know what the hell Lee was thinking with that, where he was going with that. But it, you, you went from, like, the powerhouse pillars of the Marvel Universe to four people. The whole idea with that. Regular people. The whole idea with that was four people who don't have their own books. Because right. at the time, Cap initially didn't have his own book. Right, so, yeah, so you had true. people, who, you know, basically you could do whatever you wanted with them and you didn't have to worry about what was going on in their solo series. That, that was really the logic of it. That's why, you know, characters like the Vision got introduced. Right, right. Yeah, that's true because at the moment Cap's, uh, Cap's co-feature in um, 
Tales of Suspense is doing World War II pastiches instead of, you know, modern day stuff. Although I know that that changes eventually. So I'm ready for that, too. <laughs> I, I actually like the World War II stuff that they did. They, they give you the yeah, or, oh, origin I, I, of the Red Skull. They got the sleepers, yeah. which uh, our friend, friend Kirk Greenfeld has spoken highly of. Oh, so that's one of my favorites, just because that was always my favorite episode of the of the animated stuff from the yeah. '60s, the Marvel superhero show. I used to race home every day from school, hoping it was the sleep one of the sleeper episodes. You know what? Finally got good. FF finally got good. I, I kept waiting for that because I can't tell you the number of times over the years I have read some comment from somebody somewhere. Where, you know, it's usually like where there's a poll or something and people are asking, you know, what do you consider to be like the finest run of comics ever? And somebody usually says something like the first hundred and some issues of Fantastic Four. And I've heard that so many times over the years. And it's not like I didn't like it, but up till now, I've kind of been like, what is the big friggin deal? It's just it's all right. And then suddenly it got to a point where it's like, OK, now it's getting good. Now I'm now I'm really into it. But it, oh. it took it's been a slow burn. I can't, I, I, I can't sign on with that argument because there's just so many concepts and characters that are getting introduced in that FF run. It, it's, I, I think it's a phenomenal run. There really is do. at the point I'm at now, but up, up till just very recently in that title, I just I wasn't feeling it. You know what I mean? It, it was fun and it was interesting, but I just didn't see, okay, what is the, what's the thing with this that everybody's so, you know, jazzed about but it's it's hitting that it's kind of hit its stride what issue are you up to in that uh the next one i've got to read is 45 so i just read the one where you just you uh, just passed the frightful four yeah yeah i just got the one i just finished is the one where gorgon comes looking for medusa so it's starting to get into the inhuman stuff yeah now you now you're gonna have the galactus saga coming up on issue 48 then you have uh issue 51 is one of the most uh Priest stories of all time and for a one shot. That's this man, this monster. Yep. Yeah. Then you're gonna have the introduction of the Black Panther. You're mm-hmm. gonna have the introduction of the uh, of of a lot of the uh, Marvel cosmic stuff. You're gonna get the Kree Sentry and Ronan the Accuser. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've never read those original. So you you know there's there's a lot of stuff coming up there. A lot a lot of Kirby concepts coming up that are just plus you've you've hit the point where Kirby's art starts hitting its stride too. Yeah, yeah, they are. It starts looking really, much, really much good. cleaner in the in the like late forties. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. And if you're anyway, really in the mood, you can you can use the Fantastic Cast as a uh, travel guide through it. You know, as soon as I am done with my current listening project, that one uh, that one has been on my short list for a long time to to get to, and I've been meaning to and just hadn't done it. So. <clears throat> yeah, as soon as I'm done with what uh, what I'm currently blowing through, uh, listening to music or excuse me, uh, uh, podcasting wise, I'm going to jump over and uh, and start listening to that. But I guess we've we've gone on long enough. We should talk about it. <laughs> we put Matt to sleep. Yeah, we should probably still with us, Matt. I'm here. Yeah, did you go over and get some dew? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not going to go that far into filling Bill's seat. I've, I've I've heard that Scott and I can drive people to the dew. <laughs> so i guess i'll go first because i have the marvel this week yep and i had i chose more the first book ever by marvel that was intentionally a one shot it's iron man and submariner number one is and that right i did i didn't realize that that this was that this was the first one shot that they did i believe they had a series i believe they had when I, I was looking into it a little bit they said 
they had uh I think it was Red Raven Comics number one. There was never a Red Raven Comics number two. Mm-hmm. But it went on to you, number two was titled The Human Torch. So the series did actually go on. But before uh, this, okay. that was the only one issue series they ever had. And that was not intentional, it's just that's the way it worked out. This one they right. they printed this one with the intention of it being the only issue of this comic ever. And hmm. it's Iron Man and Submariner number one. Why do people keep ringing my bell? <laughs> so this this is in the era that we were talking about of the split books, where Marvel could only come out with so many books a month. So what they did was you had the com- combinations. In Tales of Suspense, you had Iron Man and Captain America. Tales to Astonish, you had the Submariner and the Hulk. Uh, with Strange Tales, you had Doctor Strange and the uh, and Nick Fury. Was there a fourth one, or was it just the three? I'm... I think it was just the three, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's just those three, yeah. And now they the 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 limits on their publishing were coming off and they were gonna give they were ready to give each character their own series at this point. And what they did was they didn't start with number one on everything. So uh Tales to Astonish went to issue ninety nine. excuse me, Tales of Suspense went to issue ninety nine. Issue one hundred was the first issue of Captain America's solo series. Whereas the uh What's called Iron Man was started at number one. Right. Tales to Astonish went to issue 101. Issue 102 was the first solo Hulk, if you don't count his six-issue aborted run in the early 60s. And Submariner was started at number one. Tales of... Uh, excuse me, Strange Tales, Nick Fury got a number one, and Doctor Strange continued at, I believe it was 168 at that point. I right. could be off on that number, I'm not sure. But they still had two split stories for whatever reason with Iron Man and the Submariner to get themselves to the number one. So they bridged the gap with this one shot with a split book of the two of those two characters. So today I'm gonna to cover the Iron Man half of it. And I'm inclined that somewhere down the road I'm gonna cover the Submariner half too, just for the heck of it. And this one kind sure. of fits what we've talked about uh of late, not you know kind of uh, on several episodes, where the difference between a one-shot issue, or if we're doing a multiple-story line, are we doing the first issue of that multiple story? Are we jumping in midway? Or are we doing the conclusion? And then how do we rate that as a book? And that's kind of become an interesting point of contention. Because if it's the first issue, my thought is, well, does it want to make me want to read the second issue? If it's the second issue and I'm reading it as a standalone, does it give me enough of what's already going on so that I feel like I can carry it? into the story and understand what's going on and do I want to continue to find the end of it and then if it's the conclusion you know did they give me enough of what went on already so that I'm not lost as hell reading it right so in this instance we are midway through a story this story is already underway and we don't get a conclusion when it's done the cover is by it's credited to Gene Colan and Bill Everett and they have it listed as Gene Colan as the penciler and Bill Everett as the uh, anchor but when I look at it, the two characters are kind of separate on it. And it almost looks to me like Gene Colan drew Iron Man and Bill Everett drew the Submariner. I'm not sure if that's the case or not. Hmm. But that's what it looks like to me. It, uh, we have kind of a white negative space background on it. Uh, Iron Man is bursting through uh, some kind of brick wall. And Namor is flying behind them. And they're really not interacting at all. It's just kind of the <laughs> two of them and then almost a poster image. And it says, special once-in-a-lifetime issue, which kind of goes to what I was saying before about how they didn't plan on this continuing at all. The Iron Man story is first, and it's titled, The Torrent Without, The Tumult Within. 
It's written by Archie Goodwin, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Johnny Craig, lettered by Sam Rosen, and edited by Stan Lee. And the story starts with dialogue that says, Bad enough that Iron Man has overtaxed his heart and transistors, battling the sinister whiplash. Bad enough that while he was helpless and unconscious, the Magia leader, Big M, turned a laser beam on him. But just to really top things off, this is the moment that the Magia's gambling ship is attacked by none other than AIM. As the story opens, a helpless Iron Man is trapped on a magnetized table with the aforementioned yeah, with the aforementioned laser ready to do him in. Think James Bond in Goldfinger's laser death trap. Yeah. But the attack by AIM on the ship where this is taking place short circuits the laser and Iron Man is thinking in full exposition mode about how he'll have to break free from the magnetic grip of the table even if it causes him to have a heart attack. He uses a wire from the laser to recharge his armor and fights free of the table. He hears the attack taking place above and decides that he'll need to intercede. Cut to the water surrounding the ship where AIM agents very coolly have their amphibious versions of their beekeeper uniforms as they attack the ship <laughs> with their shock ray blasts. They make way their way into the ship, into the casino room where S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper Sitwell, not the traitorous Hydra agent from the cinematic universe, the Jimmy Olsen Boy Scout of an agent is on duty. Also in the area is the Big M, the Magia leader, and his hired muscle Whiplash. At Big M's instructions, Whiplash takes to the offensive, and while he keeps the AIM agents occupied, the uh, Big M and Whiplash leave the room through a secret compartment. While this is going on, Agent Sitwell decides he needs to find and help Iron Man, who is still below where water is rushing in, which has cut short his recharge session. He quickly ends up fully underwater and has, a, has to repulsor, his way, repulsor Ray his way out. Cut to the AIM submarine where agents are monitoring the events as they wait for their vector suction beam to warm up. Once warmed up, they will set it on iron. We cut once again to the Big M and Whiplash where Big M is setting off a failsafe weapon of some sort, which causes the ship to lurch. The device is called a gyro oscillator, which I can only guess spins the ship in a way that probably defies the laws of physics. <laughs> as Whiplash uses his whip to break free from the room, he comes face to face with Sitwell, but before he can put a beat down on the helpless S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Iron Man comes in and repulsor rays Whiplash, putting him down pretty quickly. But then Iron Man is immediately pulled through the floor by the Vortex suction device that those agent, AIM agents were working on before, and it pulls him out towards an AIM submarine, and we get the title, or the word balloon that says, Next Ish, the Catam Cataclysmic Conclusion in the first incredible issue of Iron Man's own mag. There was a lot going on there for 11 pages. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, there is. <laughs> and, and I say that in a good way. I don't know about you guys, but I, I kind of like this. I like the James Bond feel about this. I love the Gene Colan art. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's a lot going on, and some of it's you know, kind of silly. The vortex thing, the fact that they have the beekeeper suits on underwater. You know. <laughs> I thought Marty McFly from Back to the Future when he was... Put the headphones on his father in the past. That's yeah, the outfit I that's, saw. That, that is kind of what they look like. <laughs> Darth Vader from the planet Krypton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but overall, no, I, planet Vulcan. That was okay. it. Planet yes. Vulcan. I, I love this this era of Iron Man. It's it's just to me it was very cool. There was a lot of, a lot of, you know, corp, corporate corporate espionage going on, and there's the mafia stuff that they you know, I don't I don't know who they were afraid of offending that they couldn't call it the mafia. It's called the Magia. Vince Who are you Coletta's kidding? Buddies. What's that? 
Vinny Coletta's buddies. Yeah, right. But so so Vinny Coletta's buddies in the mafia hear Magia and say, "Oh, well, they couldn't be talking about us." <laughs> right. <That's... laughs> well, I always wondered what is the actual in-universe pronunciation of that word? Is it supposed to be Magia? Or is That's it, how are I've you still supposed it. to say mafia? Yeah, I was always confused by that when I was a kid. Because I clearly understood it to be the mafia, and I always wondered, why the hell are they spelling it differently? So I still would say mafia, but I wonder, was it supposed to be magia? I, I still well, don't know. I mean, the mafia is spelt with an F. Right, right. So I always took it as pronounce it the same way as mafia only just replace the f with a g yeah yeah right i just don't understand because i've heard As people say, say magia. i don't understand why why you know, why I, I think you posed a perfect question you know, who are they afraid of offending well you know they're getting sued hey hey we have a copyright on mafia you can't use that but it's not us so but the mafia does we're <laughs> not the mafia those people over there they have the, right. they have the uh the copyright thing the thing, they were you know, just the afraid hoof. that uh, thousands of mafia men were just suddenly going to throw down their Marvel comics in disgust and not buy them. Anymore, <laughs> That's a good point. They'd have to actually know that they were printed in a Iron Man Submariner one-off issue in order to be offended in this particular case. <laughs> Some but, force is sucking him right through the floor. There's a oh, freak. Oh, man. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> like a golf ball to well, a garden hose. Say I do. <laughs> On my recordings, that you hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely some wonky science going on here, and and I, I actually found Agent Sitwell in this era to be very, you know, kind of endearing. You know, he he really um, was endearing. That's friends for annoying as hell, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and I could understand where where you'd get that because because he, he was definitely like the Jimmy Olsen of Shield. He's like a hybrid of Jimmy Olsen and Johnny Thunder from He's not Johnny the Thunder. No, no. He's no. dressed just like him. Look, he's even <laughs> But got he doesn't act tie. like him. Uh, he's annoying like him though. Yeah, he is kind of like cuz he at least to me see it's hard to tell in this one issue he this this is perhaps the most um of Sitwell in this era I've ever read right here in this one issue. <laughs> So it's kind of hard to get a feel for him, but he seems like he's kind of a simpleton. And Johnny Thunder was clearly a simpleton. So I don't know. That's that's where I'm drawing the uh, the parallels there. But he's a simpleton, yeah. at least as far as my reading of him goes. He's a simpleton in that he has like a very pure heart. He you know he's loyal to Shield and and everything with you know that goes with that. And and like you'd never corrupt him or anything like that. Which just goes against what they did in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. Where he turns out to be a Hydra agent. Spoilers, right. by the way. <laughs> but uh, I really want to see Mickey Rourke dress up in this whiplash outfit. <laughs> ah, ooh. Ah. <laughs> With the rooster head and Yeah. Uh yeah, that's that is not a uh, visually appealing uh, <laughs> outfit there. What is with yeah, the rooster head is Odd. You kidding me? I go to work with a rooster head on all the time. <laughs> I, I can't imagine at, that you'd have any problem with that. And it looks like in the one panel, actually, I don't see anything to to argue this. In the one panel, he's got like a little capelet. It's just like it's a foot long at the back of his neck. Yeah, it's not right. really a cape. It's just right. there. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed well, to be you a know rooster what? head, he, by the way. I think it's kind of like fur, like they would have on the top well, of the helmets. Yeah, of course it's not a rooster head, but well, it. Uh, 
all right, I, I see where you're going, but then I will argue that because it's kind of like falling over in one scene. Like it's like, right. So I kind of don't think it's that either. I don't know what it is, which actually might make it worse. Maybe it's like his real hair. That could, that's always a possibility. He always wanted a mohawk, but he didn't want to commit to it by actually shaving. So he just does it when he dresses up as a whiplash. Yeah, I'm I'm having a problem getting a, a handle on his exact outfit because there's some panels where it looks like <laughs> he has a cape, and then there's others where you're right. It looks almost like a like a scarf or a capelet, and then he has one of those. I don't know what you call it. It's not a skirt, but you know, yeah, like yeah. like snowtroopers have, you know, too, from the yeah. belt down, you know, to his boots. So I'm not sure, but I can tell you as someone who used to be very proficient with a bullwhip, I can tell you that trying to do tricks with any kind of whip and wearing either a cape, capelet, or skirt or whatever the hell that thing is that he's wearing would not be at all conducive to <laughs> hitting whatever you're trying to hit with a whip. It just, just yeah. I was just saying, no matter what any of this stuff is, all of it like seems counterproductive to being right. a badass with a whip. <laughs> right. Very. Well, you know, I, so. I think right off the bat when you start mentioning wearing a skort, <laughs> you know, right. you, 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 you're you're attacking the man's manhood to some extent, right there. Well, I, I, just... I what are the, what is that thing called? That little half cape thing that like snowtroopers wear, you know, where it's like from the belt. Down to the boots, you know what I mean? What what is that? I don't know what it's called. Chaps. But he's it's like reverse chaps, actually. <laughs> yeah, reverse it's... chaps. So it's so it's so it's packs. So he has so assless chaps on the uh crotchless <laughs> chaps in this way. Yeah, we're, we're going into some strange territory. I'm now still trying to get my head around him like wearing all this with the whip and like, you know, he, he reels back and it gets caught and it reels back, gets caught in his capelet. And it, what is he telling to the good guy? Hold on. Don't move. I'm going to get right. this. Come on. I'm, I'm going to try again. It's like so, I'm trying to watch someone play something on a piano that they barely know how to play. Those it's like, I can get this. Songs. I can get it. Don't go anywhere. I really, really enjoyed this, but I will have no problem whatsoever nitpicking the shit out of this one part. <laughs> um, now, I, I was really enjoying this, though. I, I like the whole threat. I like the James Bond feel of it. I like, you know, the ship gets whatever happens here, torpedoed or whatever. They never really show exactly what it was that happened to the ship. We're just told that the ship's been damaged and it's slowly leaking. But I can, I can buy all of that up to a point. But then you get to the point where... So the mafia guys, the mafia, I don't know what they are, bosses, henchmen, whatever they are, are concerned that the AIM agents are aboard and are basically looting their gambling, their floating gambling vessel. So you've got the big M runs in and basically works this dial that violently thrashes the ship from side to side. And what did you say it was called, Paul? The the gyro something or other? Um, the gyro yeah. without tomatoes. Gyro oscillator. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. Hey, if you're gonna, I, I, you're gonna oscillate, you might as oscillate. You might as well oscillate in a gyro kind of way. You know, even if this was possible, it. You know, the ship is clearly shown on page ten in that fourth panel that it's just about underwater. <laughs> You've got like the bow of the vessel sticking up, and that's it. So what? How does this work? I mean, I realize comic books, but still. Here's, here's the answer. You... How does it work? It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You said it in your statement. Comic books. That's yeah. All. Yeah. That's that's all there is to it. You you have to suspend your uh, your thought of any sort of logic. 
on on this. Yeah, I'm, it's this if Gene is Hackman big... had this on the Poseidon Adventure, he would have lived though. Well, see, that's the thing. Is, you know, <laughs> I, I have read enough, you know, uh, enough technically, very, very technically oriented uh, books about the sinking of the Titanic to look at this and go, I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that would actually work in any world, fiction or, or real. So it is Romeo, a thing. And Captain Smith is smacking his head all the way down, going, I forgot to turn on a gyro oscillator. I forgot to turn on a gyro oscillator. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, man. If only I remembered that. <laughs> but that said, uh, I, I liked it. I was intrigued. I'll be very curious when I get up to this era as to exactly just what the hell was going on that got them into this situation. And, and I'm... I can't imagine being a kid in what what year was this? Did you say 67, 68, 68? Yeah, I can't imagine being a kid in 68 and not wanting to read the next issue, not being like, damn, I got to see where this is going because I'm very curious. What's, uh, you know, wh- where does this go from here? So, yeah, I, I'm, you know, in that aspect of being, a, a, you know, a tease into the next thing, it totally did its job. Did I feel completely caught up as to you know what was going on? Not really. I felt kind of thrown into the middle of a story, which it is. It's the middle of a story, but not in that bad kind of way. You know, not not in that way where you're like, Jesus, I just don't know what the hell's going on. You know, um, that's what I, I was really just wish... say. I think they give you just enough to so that you're okay reading this, but that you, if you could, you'd like the past issues. Which isn't that really right. the ideal place for this to be? Well, you know, the the era of comics, when I discovered comics, and, and it's generally speaking the, the same era for, for all of us, um, you know, I don't think that that era gets enough credit for pretty much, you could dive in anywhere. You know what I mean? I mean, there were exceptions, of course, but I think that was a great hallmark of comics of that era that... I don't think we really appreciated at the time, but I, I totally appreciated in hindsight that you could just kind of fall into it and, and pretty much pick it up on the fly, very much like this issue. And somewhere along the line, I, I think that that's been lost in comics. I really wish that Bill had been able to join us tonight because the book that he was going to bring, um, I read that book. I'm not going to spoil what it what it is, but I read that book and it's a it's a number one issue. I was completely friggin' lost in that. I'm like, what? What the hell is going on here you know there there was it, and it wasn't being thrown into the middle of a story it was the beginning of the story and i still felt lost so mm. yeah something somewhere has been lost in storytelling well, I, I would imagine the next episode bill is on if it's not a special episode for some reason he's going to cover that book so <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> i has things to say about it <laughs> i got a few things to say about bill's shit book Yep. That could be the title you know, of a the, new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great podcast. Uh, the only other note I had on this was I really liked, I noticed it right away on the opening splash that part of Iron Man's uh, armor was busted. And I thought that was really cool. And then there was a, a little bit. Yeah. And a little bit late, uh, page two on that last panel, the fourth panel it doesn't look like it in that panel. So this drew my eye to it in uh, every yes. subsequent panel to see was uh, Gene Cullen going to remember. 
and he did from here on out. I think it's just a you know it's the it's the way the art is on that page that it doesn't look like it's broken. But I'm gonna you know I'm gonna say that it is actually broken. It just doesn't look like it. But he did remember it in all the subsequent panels that it was busted. And I just thought that that was a nice little touch. You know, it, it gives him that, you know, that little battle damaged look that, you know, just, you know, whether consciously or subconsciously adds to the dynamism of this. That, you know, this is, this is you know, the hero, but he's the injured hero or the, you know, the, the hero that's gone through a scrap kind of thing. I like that. I thought that was cool. So, yeah, yeah if that's I all I got. Correctly... I, I like it. Uh, Whiplash was introduced in Tales of Suspense 97. He faces off against Iron Man in 98. That's when he busts the uh, the shoulder armor piece. And then mm-hmm. that carries through to this point because he hasn't been able to uh, to change his armor since then. He's been pretty right. much you know under the gun. Right. Which is why he wakes up on a magnetic table. Luckily, they just happen to have a magnetic table. When you're going to be attacked right. by an iron superhero, what's better to have than a magnetic table and a laser? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, it's... that's true. I never really, I didn't stop to think about that only because I I hadn't read what came before. But you're saying that just it was just dumb luck that they had it. They didn't actually plan for this. Uh, I I can't remember if they threw a piece of dialogue in that said, "Oh yes, we knew he was coming, so we magnetized the table." <laughs> right. Uh, but, right. But that that would be probably the the best storytelling version of it. So right. either way, it's kind of dopey. But you know, it, it's. I don't know. It's just fun. I don't, you know, like it doesn't bother me when, when we nitpick it, we tear it apart. Yeah. It's kind of dopey right. that they have a magnetic table laying around, <laughs> but you know, and, and not only is it a magnetic table, but the magnetic force of it is strong enough to keep Iron Man immobilized. Eh. Oh, well, yeah, I was about to defend it, but you blew my defense out of the water. Just say they are on a ship and it rocks. So they might have a magnetic table to hold down. You know, steel bowls and flatware and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, so in other gotcha. words, <laughs> So when we're sitting down to dinner, and my my bowl will yeah, stay yeah, on the table, don't... but the soup in the bowl will splash all over me. <laughs> I was actually thinking a little worse. You couldn't actually pick up the silverware to pit, to eat anything because the, mag- the magnet was so strong. Uh, no, I, I, I do like the soup analogy, though. That's, or the not analogy, but the uh, image you gave me. That's pretty good. I'm falling all over the floor, and all the shit that's in my cup and bowl is all <laughs> over the table. But yeah. damn, they didn't. The bowl and cup the themselves bowl, yeah. never moved. That's amazing. Well, you can't drink from the cup because you can't lift it <laughs> off the table. Right, yeah. <laughs> you got to laugh. They gave me, like they gave me a metal straw. <laughs> like, wow, we really should have market researched this one. So I'm looking at the first panel on page four, and I feel like an idiot, Paul, because you, you pointed this out. I totally missed this, that these hive assholes are wearing those same beekeeper helmets with the little mesh screens. Oh, man, it doesn't underwater. keep the water out. It oh, doesn't yeah. keep the water yeah, out. Recipe for drowning right there. How does that work? No, but they have rebreathers on. I was just thinking that those are rebreathers are okay. Can't yeah, but, see anything, but but you're rebreathing and the and the air's just going right out of the front of the thing. It just so keeps going into my nose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, somebody needs to rethink rethink those Hydra. Those, those could hydra, be. Or, I mean, not Hydra, but Aim rather. Those Aim helmets. They could be glass panels with like the wiring in there in case they get broke, so they don't get metal shards in their eyes. I guess. I'll give it's, you that. It's got to be tough to work with those things on. 
That's true, yeah. <laughs> you always think something's <laughs> coming. No, like, damn it, yeah, it's no peripheral wire. vision. No peripheral vision at all. I love it. I, I like that eventually, I believe, AIM was established as having been a uh, an offshoot of Hydra. Right. And I think I think some of the other organizations, what was it, the, was it what they call the, the Black Spectre or something like that? That's another offshoot of it. You know, they, all these little splinter groups that, that created their own evil organizations. Right. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like buying a McDonald's. You're part of the franchise, <laughs> but, you know, you're still your own, your, boy, your own boss. <laughs> And then they always had you know, like the silly leader, you know, and that was definitely a James Bond trope. Uh, you know, the the leader of the organization. I'm trying to remember. I think they did it in Shield, where it was a total ripoff of it, where you know you have the you don't see his face, but he's sitting there with like the cat on his lap. Right. <laughs> and his name was Silvertoe. <laughs> <laughs> so who is the big M? Because I don't remember. I don't remember if yeah. he's anybody of any significance. Oh, okay. I, I don't think he's anybody who you'd hear now and say, oh, my God, I can't believe he was the big M. No. <laughs> but I'm going to do a quick around, search for it as long as we're... Around these saying. parts, that's me, by the way, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not. I okay. do like the, uh, what is it, page nine, I think. Yeah, page nine, where I guess they started up the gyro oscillator and there's a big spinning vortex and it says we i know that's supposed to be like an engine but it, for me it's like a little child just jumped down there and is having the time of their lives like Wee! <laughs> i like just they, they think that just giving things fancy names will <laughs> just that sounds too complicated for me to look right. up <laughs> that's got to be real you can't the make in- names like that up well, it does say that Count Nefario was at one time the leader of an important Magia family, but I don't know if he was the big M. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, his last name is Morleone, because they don't want to offend any, you know, <laughs> mob, I'm sorry, Magia people. Right. <laughs> Maybe his name is John Motti. Oh, wait, Motti is a Star Wars guy. Wow, I just made a really weird reference there. <laughs> Yeah, see, now, now you're going to get us in trouble with the copyright people from Star Wars. <laughs> if we're not in trouble yet, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I can't find out who the big M was. You know what? I'm going to have to read these issues of Iron Man now until it's revealed. Because clearly it was a secret <laughs> at this go. point where they didn't want to show his face. Right. Yeah, it took me a little while to realize that, that they weren't actually showing his face. I, I think it was a couple of panels in after he popped up that I realized, wait a minute, they're they're purposely keeping this guy in shadow or what so you don't know who it is and then it may that's the only reason i really wondered who he was is if they're going out of their way to to mask his face then you would think he's got to be somebody important somebody that we maybe already know from this series you know like one of the existing supporting players or something like that like norman osborne yeah but i I couldn't think of who it would be yeah I, 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 i have no recollection whatsoever on that but I, I, would, I would have to say it's a, a good job by Gene Colan in in how he framed those pictures. If it took several oh, yeah. several times before you even realized that he was masking him, right? You know who he probably knows of it? Luke Jacanetti knows. He'll probably end up writing in to let us know. He'll clue us in. He's a big Iron Man fan. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's pretty much pretty much the go-to Iron Man guy. So, Luke, yep. we want to know. <laughs> Do the research, read the books, tell us. 
Anyway, I think it's time to rate this one. All right. So I believe, even though it's kind of the split book cover thing, I still think this is a cover worth rating. Mm -hmm. We do have our uh, central character from the story we just covered on it. And as I said, it's probably a little bit too much negative space for my likes. And under normal circumstances, the fact that both characters seem to be totally independent and how they're rendered on it would probably bother me a little bit that I, I would want them to be interacting more. But since they don't interact in the book at all, I, I'm not going to hold that against it. I think they're both drawn fairly dynamically. I kind of wish that the Submariner was looking a little bit more front and center instead of looking off panel. Right. And Iron Man's right leg is kind of wonky. Mm-hmm. Those are my negatives on the on it. But I think they both look really dynamic. I think the action in both of them is very kinetic. Uh, and I kind of just like it overall. So I'm going to say if they had rendered those little things a little better, it would have been an A, but I'm just going to say a B plus. The interior art, I really like as well. I think, you know, it's Gene Colan. I, I love Gene Colan's art, and what I always say about Gene Colan's art is it never looks like anybody in the book is a posed poster image. They right. always look like they're in motion. They always look like they're doing something, and, they're always, and the storytelling is always pretty much flawless. So I'm not totally thrilled with the inking in it. It Seems like it's like it, like it got a little lazy in a couple of spots where it could be a little bit more detailed. But overall, it's pretty solid. So I'm going to also say a B plus for the interior art. Uh, the story, despite a lot of silly things, you know, the different makeup, a, a machine that does something silly kind of elements of it and all of that. Uh, despite that, it gave me enough to make me comfortable with where we were. It gave me enough going on to make me want to know more about where we're going to go. And it was pretty exciting with a lot of stuff put in there. So I'm going to give it an A on the story. And overall, I'll give it a B plus. I suspect that we are going to wind up in very similar ground. <laughs> um, I really like the cover, um, but I do have some qualms with it. You're, you're right with Iron Man. His, but I think both his legs look just a <laughs> little wonky. There's a little bit yeah. something strange going on there. A little, you know, like he's busted up or something. Um, but the two big things that really do, I, I have to be honest, kind of bother me. Namor's left side as he's reaching up, he just, it, it, he looks bloated and freakish. But then I remembered that he did at least in that one, that one story, he had the ability to blow himself up like a puffer fish. So yeah. maybe that's what's going on here. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're really grasping at straws there. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, he something's not right with him in that just on that one side of his body. Yeah, you, but no, the, you're all right. The the anatomy there isn't great. But the the, and it, the and thing, the number one thing that really does bug me though is Iron Man's helmet, specifically his mouth slit, looks like something I have been trying to remember what it is. He, he, it's like his mouth is going, and it, it reminds me of. A little bit of that box from the progressive commercials oh, it reminds me a little <laughs> bit of uh of morph from the exiles but i still don't think that's exactly it looks what like it the is. sorting hat it. from harry potter there yet yeah, i think that ah. might be it maybe that's what i'm wow. trying to think Actually. of yeah but just the little you know the little like puppet mouth thing that he's got it's just i don't know it's just bugging me it's it shouldn't look like that it looks like he has lips and Iron Man's helmet doesn't have lips. It just has a slot, like a male slot. So I don't know. It's just weird. 
Um, but I do like the cover. I, I think it is iconic. Um, I think I'm going to go a straight up B on the cover. I think there's great room for improvement, but overall it is a, is a pretty cool and dynamic, uh, cover on there. And the bricks somehow give it a, a, a 3d look that I really like. I think the bricks really add something to it. It looks really cool. Um, interior art. I love it. Uh, love me some Gene Colan. I think this is some really good stuff, but I totally agree with you that the inking is inconsistent. Sometimes the inking is uh, is very heavy, like on page six, and it looks really good over Gene Colan. And then there's other times, like uh, last panel on page four with uh, Jasper Sitwell, where it almost looks like it's not even inked, like it, they just printed it from the pencils. So it's inconsistent in the thickness of the line, and that doesn't help with the art. Um, but overall, I really do like um, Colan's work. It, I think a lot of my qualms with the art really come down to the inking job with one exception um panel two page eight where iron man i don't know what the hell he's doing here but it's it's like he's going no go away or something and he's <laughs> got his hands in front of he just looks deformed or something right there it, it's the it's the only panel in the book that i really don't like and that's not the inker that's actually colon right there but um, it's it's a minor quibble overall art wise um, again I think I'm going to go just a straight up B um, lots of room for improvement but I really really do like the art it's just not the strongest I've ever seen from Colin but I really do like it um, story would be a straight up A plus um, but I'm going to have to deduct just a little bit for the uh, gyro oscillator so I'm going <laughs> to knock it down to an A from an A plus so it's, a, it's an A so overall uh, I think that average is out to like a B plus. So I think we got to the same the same place, just slightly differently. Mm. Yeah, not not even tremendously differently. Yep. What say you, Matt? All right. I will say I will be the odd man out on the cover. I don't like the cover, and it mainly has to do with the negative space and the fact that the negative space is like centered around Submariner. There's a lot going on with Iron Man breaking through the wall. Submariner is just kind of suspended in air or out of the right. water or whatever it is. I don't like that. That's just my feeling of it, I, it, 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 and maybe it, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe that is to indicate that they're two different stories, but it's, it's too separating of the characters for me. But on the plus side, up in the upper left-hand corner, I do like the uh, superstar pose at Submariner. <laughs> that's that gave me a chuckle. He's doing the wave. So, yeah, <laughs> it looks but like up, he's trying to catch Iron Man's helmet. <laughs> You're right, or he th- he's throwing it at you. Over here, I'm open. I'm open. <laughs> yeah. So, but up. Apart from the negative space thing, I mean, I, I do like I, I like the artwork. I do like the colors. I've always had difficulty looking at anything Iron Man because it's always like red and yellow. It's just like too much of the two colors for me. But in this case, with the blue titles, the gray bricks, and the uh, having the Submariner on there, it breaks it up well. So otherwise, I like it. So I'm not going to be totally down on it. I'm just going to go average and give the cover a C. When it comes to the artwork inside, it's a totally different story. I really like a lot of the things I saw in here, and actually, to, much to the point that I didn't know, I guess I did notice the inking because, like, in, I'd say page, all of page three alone, it seems a little heavy and not much detail. But then past that, I didn't really notice any inking problems until you guys started pointing them out. So that is, to me, that's a good indication that I really, really enjoyed the art. So I'll definitely give that an A. The story, I thought I was going to whip through this while you guys were talking, and I was, I was silent. And like Paul said to open up, there's a lot going on for. Was it 11, 10, 11 pages? So, I mean, that's, that was, and it was, it 
held my attention enough to read everything and not just skim through it like I would if I were just trying to catch up real quick. So the story hooked me in. It was a lot going on for such a short amount of pages, and I'm actually pretty curious to see how this ends. So I'm going to give that an A as well. So overall, it might be a little lower than you, but it's I mean, still think I'm in, the, I'm in the same general thought process as you guys are with this. Yeah, I think we're all in the same general area. Sweet. So let's see. That's all Marvel. All right. And let's shift over to Batman. <laughs> all right. So... This next book's book comes to us thanks to a generous donation by listener and good friend of mine, Kirk Landry. Uh, I got to thinking a while ago, you know, I have been given a lot of comics over the years that I have been podcasting, and I don't know how many of them I've ever actually gotten around to uh, discussing here on Back to the Bins. So I'm going to try to make a, a better effort here in coming episodes to actually cover some of the things that uh that folks have given to me so uh i'm gonna start doing that right now with this particular issue so for this time my book is batman number 206 now this is cover dated november of 1968 the approximate on sale date according to mike's amazing world of comics was september 5th 1968 uh, I was not quite six months old at this time. Uh, the cover was by Irv Norvik, and it shows a handcuffed Cape Crusader being led down the hallway of a prison by a police officer toward an open waiting door while a priest reads him whatever a priest reads to the condemned. Uh, I don't know if that's last rites or whatever. Just Under the, a, we'll just go with the Bible. John, I think of Johnny Dangerously. It's like... You missed the bus. He missed the bus. When's the next bus? Like just making up words that sound Greek or Roman or whatever. <laughs> or Italian, maybe. Uh, under the title header of Batman, the cover reads, Walks the Last Mile. This is the dot, 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 end. So you've got a very dramatic uh, cover on this particular issue. The thing that jumped rich- out on me was the unzippered boots. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's yeah. something they do when you walk the last mile. They don't let you have a pair of shoes on. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, why they would they be unzippered? It just doesn't... I don't know. Oh, he's Batman. They want to make sure he doesn't have, like, a bat, you know, handcuff pick or something in his... tucked down his boot, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm grasping at straws on yeah, that I just, one. Yeah, I don't know either. I just, like, for, for whatever reason, when I looked at this cover, that just jumped out at me, and I was, like, I, I just... Wasn't sure why that would be. It looks authentic to me, but I've right. just never seen anything like that before. His fly's open too. You just can't see it with the angle. <laughs> <laughs> the and, and the uh, you know they're walking by the cells with hands sticking out. Right, right. You've got that. The guard swats that one away, like in uh, Return of the Jedi. There, when the tentacles reaching out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Original cover price on this one was a mere twelve pennies. So Batman Walks the Last Mile is credited as story Frank Robbins and art Irv Novick and Joe Gaella. Chapter one is titled, and this dot, dot, dot is the beginning. Or as I'm going to call it, now I know exactly what Iron Eyes Cody was always crying about. Some people are going to get that reference and some people aren't. I'm just going to forge ahead. <laughs> Night on the outskirts of Gotham City. Three horrible American Indian racial stereotypes named, are you ready for this? Brace yourselves. I just got iron eyes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Chief sitting in, 
Lil Moose God. and Big Squat arrive oh. at the Gotham Auto Wrecking Yard in their VW Bug and receive instructions from the planner. The next night in the manager's office of the Gotham Grand Hotel, Commissioner Gordon and some guy who disappears forever without any fanfare whatsoever <laughs> in the very next panel watch as Batman and Robin investigate the theft of last evening's charity ball proceedings. <sighs> Deep breath. Batman did sweet detective work, which ultimately leads to the conclusion that Indians are on the warpath in Gotham City. Even Robin says, you've got to be kidding. But kidding DC Comics was not, as shortly at the discotheque, Batman and Robin confront the aforementioned three horrible American Indian racial stereotypes, and a fight ensues, complete with Uggs and Mino Likums. The dynamic duo make quick work of the Red Men, and it is revealed that the way that they got away with robbing the fundraiser without anyone being the wiser was because Big Squat, the bass player of the group, covered his absence from the group's musical performance last night by blowing up an inflatable plastic <laughs> double <laughs> replacement of himself. An inflatable plastic double replacement of himself that looks remarkably similar with Superman uh, to Superman with long hair, by the way. The engines are led down a trail of tears to the local lockup, and Batman comments how this was the band Custer's last stand's last stand. <sighs> At which point in my read, I was thinking the one solitary holy Robin never actually uttered in the comics. Holy Christ on a crutch. Seriously? <laughs> with this shit? <laughs> so the untitled chapter two starts on the next page where we see Gotham City honoring Batman and Robin in the Gotham Grand Ballroom. Commissioner Go uh, Gordon's presiding when some asshole in the audience starts heckling him. Garden, uh, Gordon, rather, Gordon does the prudent thing and orders that they throw out the bum, but Batman, ever conscious of the rights we as free Americans have fought for and hold precious, says, let the man talk. The man, E.G. Never, and I waited this whole goddamn issue for a payoff for that stupid name and it never happened, asserts that Batman and Robin are phonies and that they've actually been secretly paying him all these years to be the brains behind their crime solving that he, in essence, is the, bre the bleh, I can't even say it, the Batman's brain. Not kidding with any of this. I'm not making any no, of this up, right? You're not. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than punch him in the head, Batman, a little shaken because he fears that if anyone suspects that he has money, that they might piece together, that is actually Bruce Wayne loaded fop, as, uh, accepts Never's public challenge to uh, a crime-solving duel. So the game is afoot. The story wastes no time spoiling the fact that Never actually is the planner and that by planning the capers uh, that he is uh, challenging Batman to that he can't lose, right? And indeed he does bat, uh, best the masked Manhunter in the first round, but on the second he slips up. As the planner, he sets up the Cat Crook, a second story man dressed in pretty much exactly the same outfit as Batman, just minus the yellow bat emblem on his chest, in an elaborate plot to further embarrass Batman. But when Batman play acts that he's suddenly had enough of Never and is going to open a much-needed can of bat whoop-ass on him, Never just flees the scene. The cat crook, however, recognizes Never's voice as that of the planner, 
and flees to pursue him to the junkyard where he intends to exact his revenge. At the junkyard, Never lies in wait for the Cape Crusaders to show up so he can plug them full of holes. He sees a Batman-shaped figure silhouetted against the moon and lets him have it. But remember how I said the cat crook had exactly the same <laughs> outfit as Batman minus the chest emblem? Well, yep, he's dead now. And apparently, this is the only reason... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apparently, this is the only reason that he ever briefly existed in the first place. <laughs> anyway, now the planner done killed somebody, and Batman and Robin bring him in. All his cronies rat him out in court, and ultimately, the planner is informed that, and I quote, you shall be taken from thence to a place of execution where 20,000 volts of electricity shall be passed through your body, Till you are dead. <laughs> Later on death row, E.G. Never has gone a bit crackers and he keeps insisting, I'm Batman's brain. I am Batman. Batman, the real one, is summoned to warden's, uh, the warden's office where it is decided to grant Never his final wish. And on the last page, a full splash we're treated to something that I can't immediately recall ever having seen in comics before. The reverse perspective of the cover image where we yeah. see a handcuffed Cape Crusader being led through the doorway of an execution chamber by a police officer while whilst a priest reads him whatever a priest reads to the condemned. The end. Holy shit, where to begin with this issue? <laughs> um... I have a lot of notes, but you guys feel free to jump in at any point here. I'm just going to kind of cover them in order um, as I wrote them down. Um, first and foremost, the thing that grabbed me when uh, Kirk gave me this issue, I'd never seen it. I'd never read it before. The cover. I think the cover kicks ass. I really, really? like this cover. Yeah, I love the That's cover. That's funny because I think it looks like a Mad Magazine cover. Like the cover <laughs> coming around, it should be Alfred E. Newman smiling. <laughs> I can see that. I can't actually see that, but I really, I do. And I'm actually amazed that I, that I do like both the cover and uh, for the most part, I like the interior art too, because I'm going to confess right now, never liked me. No Irv Novick. I was never a fan of his, but see, this is 68 and I would have discovered Novick probably about, Oh, I don't know, 72, three, four, something like that. And I don't know what happened in those intervening years, but I don't think his art later when I would discover him was near as tight as it is right here. I, I actually like this and I thought it looked good, but I do like the cover. I, I think it's just, you know, it's, you know, it's actually, I think appropriate that you said it reminds you of mad magazine, because this is what I would say would, would is like a typical gag cover, but you know, not like funny ha ha gag, yeah. but like a catch you like, like, right. Ooh, what's going on? You know, Batman's going to the, to the, you know, to the gas chamber or the electric chair. What, you know, what's going on? I got to buy this issue. I can totally see it it's, doing. It's almost like this cover it, should have not an imaginary story written on it. Yeah. Yeah. This time it's real. Totally. Batman is going to the gas chamber. Yeah. You but know, it, it's, but, it struck me with this story that Frank Robbins in writing it confused dark, with deep yes yeah if if you get what i'm saying they're like you know he he wrote a very dark story and i think he wanted people to say oh wow if at the end mm -hmm. but instead i just said yeah it was really dark <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it wasn't so much thought provoking like i think he wanted it to be 
I think confused, um, as you say, I think confused is a great word to associate with this because here's my problem with it. I am impressed as hell. Yeah, do you remember? It, it, did you ever watch Superman the animated series? Yes. There's an episode of that that ends as a man is executed in the, I think it's gas chamber in that one. I forget, but he, he goes to the execution chamber in one of the episodes. And I was like, God damn, that's dark for yeah. what is arguably a kid's show, right? On Saturday mornings. Much the same thing here. You know, in 1968, comics were still for kids and not particularly the brightest kids in the room, especially DC comics. And you have one here that ends with a man going to the electric chair. So I'm like, damn, that's dark. But the problem is, is that the entire rest of this issue is clearly a product of post-Batman TV show syndrome. And yes, absolutely. You know, from the dialogue to the sound effects to Robin and his just friggin' annoying puns. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, it, the, uh, the what you call it, the... the narration balloons in the beginning as i read yeah. them, i was thinking boy i could hear william Dozier saying these oh things. yeah yeah totally yeah totally if i could if i could do impressions worth of shit i'd have totally done it in his voice but yeah i, I did as i read this i could hear that voice yeah absolutely but you know all that said all that criticism aside there are some elements in here that strangely i do think make the the story somewhat redeemable because now, granted, there is absolutely just no excusing the the Indian band. That is just <laughs> embarrassing. However, pages two and three of Batman the Detective are pretty damn cool. I really liked this, yes. you know? I'm going to back you up for a second, Scott. Do you want to let anybody listening in listening in, uh, in on your joke at the beginning as far as the Indian band goes? <laughs> okay. Um, well, this is, this is a very... Because the only reason I, I realized what you were saying was because you put a clue to it on, on the page yeah. a couple of days <laughs> That's ago. That's why it sunk in later. I'm like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, the uh, the story, I, I named it... Uh, now I know exactly what in, uh, Iron, Iron Eyes Cody was always crying about. He was the crying Indian side the road in those old uh, PSA commercials about, you know, please don't litter. He, you know... It, it, you have to be of a certain age to even know what the hell I'm talking That's about. That's true. So you know yeah. what I'm talking about. What it was is there used to be these commercials that used to run when we were all kids where this car is driving down the road and these assholes just throw trash out their window. And it basically the trash lands at the feet of, uh, of a Native American who's standing at the roadside. And the roadside is just filthy and littered with trash. And he turns his head and stares at us, the viewer, as a single tear runs down his face. And as a kid, that was powerful shit, man. It used to make me feel horrible for littering, you know, which I guess was the intent. Anyway. Didn't uh, stop me, but it made me feel horrible about it. <laughs> well, if, if, if you want to feel a little better about it, just understand that he was not a Native American. He, right. was, he was Italian. And yeah, I know. I read that today. I thought that was hysterical. Because I expected to look him up, and his name was actually like Chief something, you know, like Chief Crying Eye or whatever. His name, I, looked, I, I looked it up while we were talking. His name is Espera Oscar de Corti. <laughs> right. He's Sicilian-American. Right. So, yeah, you know... Oh, God, you know, Native Americans are just not getting a break with this episode at all. I'm sorry <laughs> to say. Um, but it's you know, better than little Ernie Chan gets. Right. Yeah, this is very true. But, you know, despite that, the, basically, I think if you just 
excised the opener of this story, if you took off like the first seven pages, the rest of it's not bad. Now, granted, that means you have to lose the little detective moment there, but there's elements of the rest of it that I really did kind of dig. I, I, I generally do like the art. Um, I love this version of the Batmobile. This is my personal favorite version of the Batmobile, so that was pretty cool. I thought Robin looked really good. Um, the other image that you may have seen me post up today uh, in our Facebook group, as I said something <laughs> like, oh, this is going to come back around, page 14, panel 2. Robin's pose right there as he jumps and grabs a hold of the wrecking ball reminds me of the old... As soon as I saw this image, I was like, Man, that reminds me of something, and it took me a while to put it together. It reminds me of the ads that they used to publish in comics for the Batman and Robin action figures that had magnets in their feet and hands. Oh, yeah, Do you know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking I about? See. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just it's much the same pose, I guess, but I, I just I thought that was really cool. So, I mean, I like the action beats. Um, Batman seems a little sissy when he just goes yelp and lets go of the of the rope. I thought that was weird. But and, and I was wondering in this one part, did he save himself from a nasty fall by intentionally wrapping his ankle around that rope, or was that just dumb luck? Because the story does not make that clear at all. Yeah, I kind of took it as dumb luck, but I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Um, okay, yeah, the big... Can, it, can know, I ask just... you a question? Why are they climbing up the side of the building? That... Why do they just go up the stairs? <laughs> it can't yeah, be I, faster. I almost made a note of that. And then I decided, you know what? I'm not going to make a note of this because it's just going to piss me off. I know why they did it. So the, the only reason they did it is because they climbed the side of the building in the TV show. In the TV yep. show. That's exactly, yep. you're exactly right. Because there's this... So here it is. I, I kind of skipped over this in my synopsis. But you've got these two idiots that have been set up by the planner. They're hiding out in this abandoned building. They're on the third floor. They're looking down. They see Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin look up. They see them looking out the window. So for one thing, there's not even any goddamn mystery. These guys see Batman and Robin coming. If you saw them climbing up the side of the building, why wouldn't you just go get a pair of scissors, right? So Batman and Robin, they see the guys up there, and and Robin says, come on, let's go get them, or whatever he says. And and Batman says, uh, they'll expect us to come up through the uh, downstairs door. So we'll, dot, 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 you turn the page, and they're climbing the side of the building. I'm like, really? And this is not this is not yet at the time where they would just like fire a bat grapple. So they actually have to climb the building, you know, under their own steam. And I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. Not so only happen you're you're afraid to go through the door because you're afraid they're gonna ambush you. Wouldn't climbing up the side of the building be worse? For one thing, you're gonna exhaust yourself, so you're gonna be tired by the time you get up there. For two, any number of things could happen to you while you're climbing. You could slip on your own and get hurt. They could throw shit down on top of you. They Somebody could, could hit you with a wrecking ball. Throw bricks down. Whatever. Hit you with a wrecking ball, which is what they tried to do. I'm thinking, how in the hell is this any better than just going through the front door as you were expected to do? Are you Batman or are you not? You know? So, yeah, that was just utterly ridiculous. One thing I did catch, though, and I'm really glad I caught this because it almost wound up in my synopsis. And anybody that actually bothers to read this story would probably write in and go, uh, no, you screwed up. When I first read this, I missed the part that every time the planner gave his marching orders to the to his minions, he was always in shadow. So they didn't know who he was. I missed that the first time around. So when Batman and Robin apprehend them and brought them to the police station and never is sitting right there, I thought. 
why in the hell don't these guys sp- speak up and go, uh, hey, yeah, he told us to do this and I ain't going to jail for nobody, you know? And I wondered why they didn't, and that's why they didn't. So I don't know. That was neither here nor there, but I just thought I would point it out. I have another but logistic the- question for you. Mm-hmm. If Robin is strong enough when Batman is in the car compactor to pick up an I-beam <laughs> and put it in there to try and stop the compactor, hold it long enough in the air, obviously about five feet in the air, until it gets jammed in there with the compactor, and then climb out. Why didn't he just carry Batman out? (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Never even occurred to me, but you are so totally right. What does an I-beam weigh? I don't know, like a thousand pounds? Yeah, right? Well, that panel where Batman's falling in really does look like Robin is hurling him in there head first anyway. He's going to be crushed into an unrecognizable pulp. How many times did this happen on old 70s detective shows where they wind up at a junkyard and like they're going to be crushed by a car or in a car compactor? I remember this happened on like The Hulk and Sam and Wonder Woman and Six Million Dollar Man. It's like every every show I I watched. I saw it recently on McCloud. McCloud. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not joking. I did. But, you know, there are... There are just, and there's no, I'm sorry, I know you're going to have to do some extra work to bleep this, Paul, but there's no kind way to say this. I know there's a lot of what the f*** moments in this book, but the the one that just to me is unforgivable is the cat crook. <laughs> I thought that, see, I left every time they showed the cat crook. Yeah, I mean, what <laughs> the hell was that? I mean, he exists purely to take a bullet for Batman. And so, okay. He filled his purpose. Well, I mean, I can understand that you want his silhouette to be mistaken for Batman, but it's a silhouette. Why does he actually have to be wearing Batman's outfit? Why couldn't he be a cat crook that looks like, you know, that had like a cat appearance when you saw him in the broad daylight? But he, I mean, how is he being called the cat crook when he looks like the bat crook i don't know it's just it's just so stupid it was really ridiculous i was like what the hell is up with this well one one of the things that made me laugh was the scene where he's fantasizing about after he kills batman and robin yes commissioner (laughs) gordon i killed him in self-defense you saw batman threaten me earlier (laughs) he's gonna see splitting out like every line but he is then he is the master planner so yep he just murdered a 13 year old boy congratulations <laughs> he's, he's he's looking kind of like a small-headed Hector Hammond, right? Well, he grow, reminded grow that me, head a little bit more, and he's there. He reminded me of another uh, Bat villain, and that that'll come up in a moment here. Um, I, I really, I just have two other quick notes. Um, my fa- my absolute favorite moment of the entire book is on uh, same page we were on. It's page twenty-two, next to last panel. This is the panel that I call Jesus Christ. What are you doing? This is where Robin is throwing a batarang and hitting him yeah. right side the head. But look at that batarang. Yeah, that should pierce his temple and kill him. That, oh my God. <laughs> this is like the type of bat, batarangs that Batman used in Dark Knight where they would like stick in people and stuff. And he's hitting him in the head with this. And oh, the well. going, he's going, <laughs> maybe that's what, cool. you know what? Up until this moment, he hadn't shown any sign of schizophrenia. So maybe this is what caused it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound effect. It goes, ka-chunk. 
Oh my god, that would hurt. You know what okay. I, also I love about it? The Native American guy still, when he testified, still had the, uh, the feather and, and the uh, headband. <laughs> He's in jail wearing his headband and feather, walking around. At least he doesn't speak in stereotypical oh, Indian talk while he's testifying. Him, him or... plan. <laughs> right, exactly. Which they did earlier in the story, and it was just groan-worthy when they did it. Well, that's what that it seemed, last, like, uh, seemed like Bob Haney should have uh, written it. <laughs> the last panel, though, uh, I really do like. I think that's really cool, because you've got... It, it really is just a reverse of the cover image, you know, including the unzipped boots and everything. But you're getting him walking towards us. So when he's walking towards us, you can actually see that he is, uh, you know, he has a goatee. So I'm dubbing this like the mirror universe Batman, because that's essentially <laughs> that's the image he kind of evokes. But what's really cool about this is, is this is this wouldn't be the last time. I don't know if this is necessarily even the first time we'd ever seen a goatee Batman, but it's definitely not the last because I remember that there's another story way later where Hugo Strange wears Batman's outfit, and Hugo Strange has the same kind of look. So I thought that was really cool in that last panel. It just kind of took me back to, uh, you know, an, an era of Batman I'm more familiar with from uh, from the 80s. So, you know, strangely, for all my nitpicks and just the just the overall, just like what the hell nature of this whole thing. <laughs> I dug it, though. I had a hell of a good time reading it. I was laughing. I was going, oh, my God, this is going to make the funniest synopsis, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's wacky as hell, but it was fun. So I, I can't be too I can't be too down on it. What did you guys think? Uh, well, I, after. Go ahead. Man. OK, after. Uh, let's see. Page four. All I could hear in my head was Tonto. Jump on it. Jump on it. I, I heard that the rest of the issue. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's my initial thought. Okay. See, my, Paul? my, my thought was, and I, and I already gave you my, my biggest thought, was that you know, just being dark doesn't make it deep. And that's that's where I thought yeah. Robbins went a little awry. He really didn't give right. us a build-up to this craziness that led to his walking the last mile. He just kind of threw it all against the wall and, you know, let it sit there. Right. But I also kind of felt like the book had a, had a certain schizophrenia to it, where, like I said, some parts of it seemed like Bob Haney wrote it. It seemed like it was out of the, uh, you know, the 1960s or early 70s Teen Titans stories. Uh, you know, with, with especially the the Native American group, that that really seemed like it was out of a Teen Titans book that Haney wrote. You think that was an attempt to be like contemporaneous or something? I, I don't know. There's, there's points <laughs> in this thing. I, it, oh, just just to give some dialogue here, when when Batman and Robin it's burst in on one, one guy up. says, "Double double ug, me no like em. Chief sitting in, oh, gotta tune out the scene." I mean, it's just that's that's grow worthy. So, yep. Well, Batman and, keeps calling him a base bully. What the what the hell is a base bully? I I, I don't know. I'm just not hip. I guess. I guess I don't know what the hell they're talking about half the time here. There was a number of the of the uh, puns and things that Batman and Robin were saying in this part where they're fighting this band that I'm just like, I, you're just speaking a foreign language here because I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. It's like smooth jazz meets stereotypical Native American right. in this dialogue. 
it's, yeah, it's horrible. So, <laughs> I mean, there, there's that aspect to this book in general. I did like, I agree with you, I like the fact that they showed Batman to be a detective, even if it got kind of a little dopey in some of the, oh, look at this hair, it must be a man's hair, because it doesn't look like it was styled. I mean, right. there's a little stupidity to that. Right. Uh, but I still like that they showed him as a detective, which is something you don't always get in, in the Batman stories. And it's it's part of, it should be a, like an integral part of his character. Even right. more so than the, I'm always prepared for any occasion that should come up, which is the way he's really written now. Right. So I did like that they played on that a little bit. But the book, like I said, seemed all over the place. I didn't know if they were going for comedy, like in the, in yeah. the 60s TV show. <laughs> Or if they were going, like I said, you know, for very dark. And then the ending is especially dark. And, and you know, Scott and I were texting before we started recording. And I, I said, you know, I, I was texting as I was reading the book. And I said, whoa, that got dark. And I don't even know how I should feel about this book now. Because it just seemed to, like, just go really weird. Uh, so I guess in its own way, it did get me thinking. And just probably not the way they intended it to do that. <laughs> uh you know, the art is, I, I, you know what I say for the art is it's of its day. Mm-hmm. So I can take it for what it's worth as far as that goes. I think they, sometimes with these layouts in these books, it strikes me as they saw what Neil Adams was doing, which at this point, Neil was probably already, you know, being quite innovative in, in how he presented a book. And they said, oh, that's cool. Let me do that. Let me put some, you know, strange shaped panels in here. I'm not going to go for a traditional nine panel grid. But they didn't give thought to how does that help your story go, get told. You know, when, when Neil Adams did it, if you see a lot of times one panel is bleeding into the other or making you start right. to look towards the other. And it's actually helping the storytelling and the flow of the book. In this, it's more like just, you know, I can be cool too. Let me just put these panels at angles for no apparent right. reason. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, the, the, where the angle panels come in, you'd expect, well, I, I guess there's a couple... But uh, I'm looking right now. I'm looking at the one where they're, what is it, page eleven, and they're searching through filing cabinets and the planners there. It's like there's the angle panels to me should indicate like some really serious action. Opening a filing cabinet does not translate to <laughs> angle panels for me. Yeah, it, nope. it, yeah. There should be a certain like frenetic nature to yeah the yep. angle. Yes, panels. there you go. Perfect, perfect, perfect description that there should be, and there's there's not in this particular page. Maybe the wrecking ball one a little more. Yes. Uh, and that makes more sense, but yeah, but, but when you, they're when, certainly you know, not the office. When you put angled panels on almost every page, you take yes, away the effect of it, you too. Do. Right? Absolutely, yep. So there's there's yep. a lot about the art that I can forgive. I can't say I read this and I like the art, but there's a lot about it that I can forgive and say, all right, that's, you know, that's, that's okay because it's of its time or whatever. But there's a lot about it that I think is just poor choices. The Actually, the, uh, the Wrecking Ball page, the one... The one after they swing it, you know, there's the first one where they first swing it when Robin yells Batman look out on page right. 13. That page is okay. On page 14, I actually like the art a lot. And the very bottom panel, the way Robin is drawn in there, looks to me almost like Gene Colan drew him. That page to me, for somehow, evokes strong feelings of, of Batman coloring book from when I was a kid. For some <laughs> reason, it just really reminds me of a coloring Possibly book. Possibly because don't know there why. are a lot of different colors on the page. Maybe. And, and maybe in particular, oh, yeah. the, the upper left uh, panel with the red background. Yeah. I think if they had chosen to use the same sky blue behind that one as they did in the other two, it wouldn't have that same impact on you. 
Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I think you're right. But overall, I you know I think the book is incredibly inconsistent in both its story, its storytelling, and the art in general. And it's got Here's some something. Pluses, but... Something that occurred to me though. Let me ask you this. Now, granted, you know we're reading this when we're reading it. You know, in the ages that we are. And I, I agree with everything that you're saying about it. it. It's it's wonky, it's inconsistent, it's it's just a damn strange beast. However, I'm curious, you know, if I'd read this when I was, I don't know, like say eight years old, if we'd read this when we were eight, do you think this would have been like mind blowing shit? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes, like I do. this would be something sure. that you would you would hold today as like yeah, I know it's wacky and it's weird, but damn, I love this because I loved it when I was a kid type of thing. You think you would? Yes, I, d I definitely do, and my intent was to factor that into my ratings at the end. Mm -hmm. okay. Because I do I do think that had I read this when I was a young kid, I would have found it to be more complex and interesting. I've been trying to, to uh, quietly do that somewhat in some of these uh, reviews that we do too because... You know, I do try to remember, you know, what that was like, because uh, I'll give you a great example is, you know, there's that uh, I couldn't quote you the, you know, the chapter and verse of what issue it was. Or what, But there was a story in Superman family that I loved when I was a kid, just absolutely loved it, it was this story where Supergirl had done something wrong. And so there was a trial that they held in Candor and Superman came in to vouch for her. He may even have played lawyer for her i forget oh i remember this. we at, talked about at, this one yeah but at the end of the day she she lost the trial and the story ends where they sentenced her ass to the phantom zone and i can remember reading that as a kid and feeling like that was high friggin drama man like this was like holy shit stuff you know and i've long held that up as as one of my favorite storylines from superman family well, then I read that story again a couple of years ago and reviewed it on an episode of Two True Freaks and found that while it was still fun and it was still entertaining, apparently I'd forgotten or missed or just somehow it slipped by me the fact that she, yes, was being condemned to the Phantom Zone, but it was for like a week. And I'm like, <laughs> what? You know, so... There's a big difference between reading this shit when you're like eight years old and reading this shit when you're like 48 years old. Right. You, you tend to catch different nuances, you know, <laughs> or, or not, you know, that may affect, you, you know, your whole your whole perception. So I'm trying to remember that, you know, in the case of something like this, clearly written for the eight year olds in the room, not the 48 year olds <laughs> with a jaded comic perspective in mind either so yeah, I, I try to factor <laughs> into the review what i think of it looking at it through a reviewer's eyes right but i also try to factor in who's their target audience now basically anything from 1990 on i don't give any leeway for it's aimed for a younger crowd because i don't think from 1990 on they were right yeah, yeah. right but any, no and anything I earlier that. than that i try to give it a little bit more and it's you know if it's a silver age book i try to treat it as okay under the in that Silver Age era, with what they were coming out with, how does this stand up to the other stuff? How does it hold up today? Looking at it, you know, just reading it now, is it still a good read? And But at the time, how what would I have thought of it? Not only what would I have thought of it if I was eight years old, but what would I have thought of it if I didn't have all the things that came out after it? Right. You know, and, and it's, it's hard to do that, but I, I try to factor all that in. Right. So... 
you know, on this, on this, I would, I'm sure I would give it a lower rating <laughs> if I was just, if I, if I was treating it as if it came out yesterday, but you know, right. knowing it came out in 1968, I'm going to give it a certain amount of leeway and it doesn't, that doesn't mean it gets a pass on anything, but it means, you know, just that you factor that in, you consider it and then you take, you know, add that into the equation. Does that make any sense or am I just kind of... No, no, I, I, yeah. no I, I, I totally think it does. I just wish I'd read this in a PDF instead of a... <laughs> <laughs> and it all comes home again. I would have liked uh... it a lot better. <laughs> well, you want to you give you grades? Give my grades on this. Um, I really do like the cover on this. And I, again, I'm really surprised that i like it so much because i tend really not to dig irv novick but i i really do enjoy the cover on this so i let's see i think i'm going to go a i think i'm going to go a b plus on this cover i really like it i think it is adams-esque in a lot of ways uh really my only quibbles with the cover in all honesty is I tend to like Batman with longer ears. I know that is a super nitpicky point, but every time I see this version of Batman's cowl, it looks more Catman to me than Batman. I just think it should have the longer ears. Like in the logo. The logo right above would be perfect, but with these shorter and rounded ears, it just it says Pussycat to me. It doesn't say Batman. Actually, um, it, it kind of looks like there's little whiskers on his cheek. It does, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, the the cheek line almost does yeah. look like whiskers coming off of his nose too. Uh, the other thing is uh, the unzipped boots. Now, I I understand they're going for a dramatic effect here, but two thoughts occur to me. For one, why not just take the boots off? If you're going to do this and he's going to flip flop the entire way down the hallway, just take the damn boots off. The other thought is, since when in the hell does Batman's boots unzip down the side? <laughs> Doesn't he just pull them straight on? I know my action figures always just, you know, you had to work them just right so you didn't snap their damn foot off to put them, you know, the old Mego figures. They certainly didn't zip. So do we ever see this before or after where Batman's boots zip? Not that I, I'm I aware just of. don't think that's a thing. But again, nitpicky. Um, so did I say B+. Plus? Yeah, I think did. I did. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do on the cover. Interior art, uh, I'm I'm really surprised. I like it so much. I really do. Honestly, my my only big criticism on the interior art is again the ears, which I don't know how much of a criticism you can really label on that because this is just simply the way he was drawn in this era. Uh, in this era, I mean, it was really only um, Adams and a little bit later uh, Apero that were giving him the different ears. Um, but I don't like the ears and I really like Robin, although there are a couple instances and I'm not going to point them out specifically, but there's a couple instances where he kind of has like dirt face, but, um, overall I really did, uh, like the interior art. I really liked how, uh, how Batman looks. And, uh, I think, uh, Novick was, I think he was trying. Um, there are elements of it that, that definitely do. I, I'm not exactly sure why, but there are definitely some uh, instances where it kind of reminds me of a, of a coloring book. Um, but overall, I, I, I dug the interior art. I think on the interior art, I'm going to go a... Uh, I'm going to go a, a, a B-. minus. I think that there are definitely some... There's room for improvement. There's some things that could be... Uh, tweaked and all i and you know now that you pointed it out with the panel thing it's like yeah i 
it, he was going a little overboard, and I I do think uh, I think he's guilty of what you said. I think a lot of this is kind of copycatting, you know, that DC realized they had a thing going with the way Adams was drawing books. So it's like, okay, draw like that. Well, not everybody's cut out to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of panels here where he's doing the weird panel thing to no effect. You know, he's just doing it to do it, but it doesn't actually lend anything into the storytelling. So I agree with you. And going back and forth and it just makes it that much weirder because you've got some panels where every thing on the page is a weird panel layout followed by a page that's pretty much a nine panel grid. And that's, that's just bizarre. It's like, OK, one or the other, dude, but not both. Um, so, yeah, you can do the, both uh, if you have a purpose behind both. Right. It looks like it's just kind of like, yeah, this one, I'm going to do that. You know, there's like there's right. no real artistic goal in how they did right. it, other than this is cool when Neil Adams does it, so I'm going to do it. Right, exactly. Uh, so yeah, B minus on the interior art story is the toughest one of all because I enjoyed it. I got a kick out of it, um, but is it a good story? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> At the end of the day, it you know. I can't judge an entire story by the way it ends. I think the ending is cool. I think the ending is, uh, it's a shocker just in the sense of this is totally not what I would have, have expect, uh, expected to find in a, in a, you know, in a Batman kitty comic from 1968 is such a very dark ending, but I can't judge the entire story just based on how it ends. I have to judge the story as the story. And overall, I think the story is just it's the average dopiness that I would have expected to find from the post TV show era Batman. Um, I think it's slightly better than that. So I'm going to say C plus as as opposed to just, you know, average right down the middle C. Because I think it is a little bit better than that with uh, you know with some of the things that it tries to do, and again with that ending on the story. But overall, I, I think C plus is more than generous for what basically comes down to being a pretty goofy little story with uh, some shockingly embarrassing racial stereotypes in the very beginning. So that's my great overall. I I don't know what the hell does that average <laughs> out to. Um, uh, I'm gonna say B minus. Overall, uh, Matt, you want to go okay. or, or should I? Oh, I'll go ahead. I'll get out of the way. Um, the cover, <laughs> it's still Mad Magaziney to me, but I like it. Otherwise, maybe I like it because it's Mad Magaziney. Um, <laughs> so I'll give it a B. Uh, the artwork, actually, as um, I didn't mind the artwork in general. When you start really, I wouldn't say even nitpicking it. When you start analyzing it. It doesn't take nitpicking to find problems with it, especially the angled panels. Um, but for the, uh, I think Paul said it, for its time, the artwork's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's actually very good. So, um, oh, I didn't give the cover, did I give the cover a grade? Mm, I'll go with, I don't think so. I'll go with a, you know what, I'll go with a B plus as well. So, onto the artwork, uh, did really like the artwork, I'll give that a B plus as well. Even with its problems, it's I still liked the the characters are consistent. I like the uh, when there is action. I do like the the action bits. I, I like the artwork for for the most part. Story, it's a uh, oh god, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's just the first seven pages are just silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just, you can just ditch those and go and start with on page eight and have a. I think it, it wouldn't affect the rest of that story whatsoever. And even with the 
the planner stuff and the, the switcheroo at the end, which is actually not it's it's not bad, but it's 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 sudden, I guess. Maybe I would have liked to see maybe that draw out and not hit you over a head as so much. But then again, it's like you were just saying before we hit the reviews. It's it's for the uh, it's it's more for aimed at kids, so it needs to hit, it needs the the what's going on needs to be obvious so i guess maybe i'm looking a little too critically there but because of those first seven pages i'm still gonna go with a c minus on the whole book you take the seven pages out and i think the planner story is pretty solid i give it a b but we have those first seven pages so c minus for the story which (laughs) probably brings it out to about a b minus c plus hovering somewhere between the two for me you know what's really funny? I almost did the synopsis without the first seven pages really? <laughs> and just started it with the courtroom, and and then I I rethought you know rethought it and thought no, because <laughs> it's awful, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's fun to talk about. It's not fun to read alone and have no one to discuss it with. Though, right. But... <laughs> That's very true. Well, I you know we talked about if you read this when you were eight years old. Now, admittedly, I never read this before. I read it for this show. But I picture... You know how you talk, Scott, about how you had uh, the stack of comics at your grandmother's house? Mm-hmm. If I had a situation like that when I was eight years old, and this was in the stack, I think I would reread this book at eight years old every time I went to my grandmother's house. Right. So I have to give it some credit for that. When we talk about you know giving it a little bit of credit for hitting its target audience, I do think I, I would have liked it at that age. Looking, But I'm going to you know factor that in with... My overall review, looking at the cover, I see what you're both saying, but for some reason, when I look at this cover, it looks to me not like the comic book cover, not like a Mad Magazine cover. It looks to me like it should be the cover of a paperback book. And I don't know why it looks like yeah. that, but that's what I see. I could see that, sure. Yeah, like a cheap, like a cheap crime thriller type of thing. Or, or, or a, uh, like a, just a regular, like one of the, when they would reprint the comics in a paperback. Oh, I got it, yeah. Like, this is what I could... I don't know why, but I could just see it on the shelf in that format. More than having a full-sized comic or even a bigger magazine cover. And I think the reason I see that is because, like, there is a certain amount of lack of detail that if you shrink it down, that becomes less obvious. Okay. The larger you make it, the more that stands out to me. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Is that also because there's no dialogue? Yeah, maybe. Well, but there's a lot of covers that don't have dialogue on them. And, and it's from just this, it's also from the this fact era that, though. It's also the fact that they have walk, the walks the last mile as part of the logo. I think maybe that's what's influencing me a little on right. that. But overall, I see it. You know, it's kind of compelling. I I believe if I saw this on the newsstand at virtually any age, I would be interested in this book. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go along with you guys, and I'm gonna say a solid B on the cover. You know, borderline. I, I would even almost go to B plus, but. There's enough deficiencies in it that I'm going to keep it at a B. The interior art, I have to say, I really dislike the panel layout. Again, you know, it just has no purpose to it. I think the storytelling is kind of weak. It, it's just all over the map. Some of the individual renderings are good, and I, and I have a tough time giving Joe Giella as an inker any kind of guff at all because he comes from my the town I live in, <laughs> if nothing else. He's, he's an East Meadow guy, and I, I live in East Meadow now for 20 years, so i got to give him some credit. Um, that said, you know, I, I definitely see inconsistencies. I, one of the things I think is Robin is inconsistent in his sizing. Sometimes he looks like the size of a 9-year-old, and sometimes he looks like the size of a 17-year-old. 
but he is strong enough to carry an eye bar and put it into the pit. So he must be must be a little older than I. <laughs> that is the that's the best revelation in this story. Is that, <laughs> that Robin apparently has superpowers? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm having a tough time coming up with a letter grade on the art, but I think I'm going to say just a straight up C. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's, there's nothing about it that makes me really feel like it's above average. But there's nothing about it that's horrible. I think I'm just going to give it a C on the artwork. The story, you know, we go from offensively stereotype stereotypes, <laughs> offensive stereotypes, to what I think Frank Robbins wanted as a Twilight Zone ending. Yes. Right. I think that's what, what he was shooting for there. Uh, it kept my interest. And at the end, it had me scratching my head trying to figure out what I thought of it. So I'll, I'll give it points for being thought-provoking. And like I said, if I read this when I was eight years old, I'd probably reread it numerous times. So what I, I was tempted to give it a C, but giving it credit for the fact that it probably would have been more enticing to me as an eight-year-old, considerably more enticing, I'm going to bump it up to a C-plus on the story. So overall, I'll give the book a C-plus when I factor all the things together. So it's slight, the slightest bit above average overall. Did either of you guys notice the guy that I was talking about on page two? He walks in with Commissioner Gordon. He doesn't say anything. Nobody introduces him. Nobody oh, yeah, references I see him. him. Now. Yeah. And he completely disappears after that, never to be seen again. It's like Lee Majors. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. <laughs> and it just occurred to me that uh, that fourth panel on page three, it looks like Batman is checking out dingleberries under his microscope. It does, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a perfect way to sum the issue up. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's like looking at dingleberries under a microscope <laughs> and smooth jazz. But uh, I want to shout out again to uh, Kirk Landry. Thank you so much for this. I really, as you can hear, we clearly got a kick out of it. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. it very much. Had, had enough to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all I got. Matt, we want to thank you for uh, being our emergency third man tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for putting me on the uh, the call out list. It Absolutely. took Bill. It took Bill years of being on the show to be as good at not bringing a book as you were. <laughs> <laughs> I got that down pat. Anytime you get, need someone not to bring a book, you just give me a call. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. What's up? Dr. Bill in the house.